Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Oh, good afternoon, everybody. Brian No, Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. I like the soundbite from... From head coach Mike Woodson there, Vince, where he just said, I'm not really happy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there wasn't much to be happy about after that performance. Not really happy. Left our game in West Lafayette. And Iowa just smacks around the Hoosiers 90-68. to It was really, it was one of the first things I said to Jimmy when I walked in here. The first thing was, Indiana minus six, Jimmy? No, I didn't really say that. I didn't say that. He was right on the over for... For TJD. He got that right. So he split. Not bad. But I said, that was basically the ceiling and the floor in back-to-back games for IU. You think about that. They were fantastic against Purdue. And Woodson said it. They left their game in West Lafayette. That was pathetic last night. Yeah, it was an indictment. I And, and he said it. I mean, the coaching staff, uh, they've got to have them better prepared. I thought it was an indictment all the way around. The only player who really showed up and did anything was Trace Jackson Davis. And he had another terrific performance. He puts up the numbers every night. 26 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists last night. But uh, Indiana's Indiana's going to get that from Trace Jackson Davis almost every single night. Didn't get it at Purdue. Didn't have those kind of numbers at Purdue. But then uh, Jalen hood Shafino stepped up. The problem for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis is going to give you that. What's everybody else going to give you? And last night, Jalen hood Shafino did not score in the second half. He had eight points. He was 4 of 14 from the floor. They didn't get anything from anyone else. They got nothing from the bench. And Indiana's not going to win games against good teams, regardless of where they're playing, if the only person who steps up and gives them any type of number is Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, and it was strange because, like you highlighted there, Trace Jackson Davis was held in check against Purdue. But collectively, the team was fantastic. And then last night, TJD has a a pretty good game, 26-13-5. I mean, if you said, hey, would you sign up for 26-13-5 for TJD every game from here on out? It'd be like, uh, yeah, absolutely. So he played well last night, and nobody else did. (laughs) Collectively, they were bad and just zero defense. That's the thing. When you're ball watching and you're getting caught on Princeton-type screens and cuts and back movement and all, it's like – you got to guard your guy. It was just fundamental stuff they kept on screwing up. Yeah, it was. And give Iowa some credit to that as well. I mean, I, they played a phenomenal game. A lot of that, I, I agree with you, is a lot of Indiana breakdowns defensively. Um, but Iowa delivered. I mean, they had not played well on the road. They'd had trouble scoring on the road. Uh, they they certainly played well last night, and they had no trouble scoring on the road last night at Assembly Hall. But Indiana just gave them too many open looks. They gave them too many, as you said, the kind of the Princeton style back cuts. I mean, Tony Perkins, his movement without the ball for Iowa last night was phenomenal, and how he continued to get open time after time after time. And I thought it was. It was interesting. The first possession of the game was really kind of in a nutshell the entire night, right? Uh, Jalen hood Shafino and Trey Galloway, Trey Galloway on the first possession of the game get open looks at three-pointers for Indiana and miss both. And Iowa responded at the other end with a three-pointer. 
And that's kind of the way the game went for Indiana. They couldn't buy a bucket from the perimeter. Even some of those shots around the rim didn't roll in for them. And uh, they were down eight to nothing, three and a half minutes into the game. And they made a couple of runs, but Iowa answered every time. And it was just a it was a poor performance from Indiana. And I think one of the one of the real strengths of a good team is they bounce back from an emotional win. Yeah. You know, a lot of times people talk about how they're going to respond to that loss, but how you respond to the emotional win. Yeah. Indiana going to Purdue and winning, and then how they responded to that, I know, uh, as you heard Mike Woodson say, was, uh, well, I'm not going to say what, what he said exactly. What, his press conference lasted like two minutes? <laughs> his post-game press conference, I think he was done. In and out in two minutes. Well, that's the thing. Indiana hasn't, handled success well especially as of late they've gone win-loss in their last six games (laughs) win-loss 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 they haven't strung together two wins over the last six ball games and that's alarming and how you started off what you just said right there Vince is Iowa typically is brutal offensively on the road Mm, yes and they scored 90 last night in their sleep basically so that makes me feel even worse I just burn the tape that's the only thing I can say it's 40 minutes burn the tape just don't want to hear about it don't want to think about it of course pay attention to defense buy in defensively all that stuff I'm not saying there aren't any lessons to learn out of that thing but man that was a burn the tape type fiasco and Jimmy said this before we got on the air here, Vince. He was like, Indiana probably isn't as good as they showed against Purdue. They're probably not as bad as they showed against Iowa. That was just Jekyll and Hyde, man. The last two games. It was the best of the best and the worst of the worst. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that the the Purdue game was the best game they had played all season. They were absolutely phenomenal. And if you get that kind of play, I think, you know, automatically people start talking about Indiana making a run in the NCAA tournament. You know, everybody got ahead of themselves. And um, you got to remember that they also had the capability of being the team we saw last night. Right, that went two of eleven from three point range. Indiana's not going to beat good teams if they shoot two of eleven from three point range. They're not going to do it. Um, Jalen Hood Shafino, the one knock on him, and, he, and granted, he's a freshman. Uh, we see this from just about every freshman in the country is uh, a tendency to have inconsistent play. We've seen that from him. It's been the really the one knock on him, and uh, we've seen it really in cap capital letters the last two games. He was un unbeatable against Purdue first round draft pick he's going to be a first round draft pick he looked like it against Purdue with the 35 points and then last night he comes back and he shoots 414 from the field and doesn't score in the second half so um Indiana it depending on which team you get on that particular night is going to determine how far they go in the tournament the problem is in the tournament you got to do that in back-to-back games or you go home early Yeah, and that's the thing is, if we go back to TJD, I think there's a difference between correlation and causation, you know? Where if you look at TJD, uh, he was held in check against Purdue, and everybody else around him played really, really well. Really well. And I don't think that's a direct cause. (laughs) I think it's correlated. And then last night, where TJD plays very well, and most everybody around him didn't. Like I, I don't think that caused the role players to play great against Purdue and to play badly against Iowa. 
It's just correlated. Where we've seen many games where TJD does his thing. He goes off, and you have role players step up and play a lot better than they did last night. So I, I just don't want that to be sort of a lazy takeaway. And I haven't heard it. Um, but I could see someone connecting those things like, hey, does this have anything to do with TJD playing okay against Purdue and everybody else eats? I just think, look at Jalen hood Shafino. Like, it didn't have anything to do with TJD, the difference in games he's had the last two. Where he goes off for 35 against Purdue, only eight last night on, what, 4 of 14 shooting? Yeah. Like, he just... He was not consistent last night at all. Every player's got to take care of his own business. Yeah. You know, whether it's Trey Galloway or or whether it's uh, Miller Cop. I mean, Miller Cop just, I mean, he's a pretty good defensive player, but he just got used up last night. Um, Tony Perkins, yeah. uh, by the way, Tony Perkins, an Indianapolis kid. I don't know if uh, a lot of folks r- realize that or remember that, but he played at Lawrence North High School. 23 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists last night. No player in Iowa history has ever had a triple-double, and he almost had one last night. And then Chris Murray, 26 points, 7 rebounds for Iowa, 9 of 16 from the floor, 5 of 8 from three-point range. And Miller Kopp, uh, he probably had nightmares last night about Chris Murray because he was balling. And Philip Robacha, uh, 16 points, 8 rebounds. They just got – Iowa did all of the things that you want your team to do. And with them doing all of the things you want your team to do, it just made it more of a glaring absence of Indiana not doing the things that you want your team to do. The only other player in trouble figures besides uh, Jackson Davis was Malik Renew, and uh, he had 10 points. So it's just, you know, Indiana's bench play has been non-existent most of the time from significant contributions. Um, I mean, they just don't have anybody that's going to come in with regularity and consistency off the bench and really deliver something impactful. They may hold the tide, but they don't do anything impactful. And too many times Indiana has players that don't do anything impactful other than Trace Jackson Davis, and that was the case last night. It's a lonely feeling in basketball when you're being hunted on the defensive end. (laughs) That's rough when they're just going at you, and that's what happened time and time again against Miller Cop. It was something funny, too, from the uh, Michigan State game last night. So Michigan State has this big comeback win against Nebraska, and Tom Izzo, he was interviewed on Big Ten Network after the game, and his comment was hilarious, and it reminded me immediately of the Indiana game I had just watched. This is what Tom Izzo said after the uh, the comeback win for Sparty against Nebraska. Really complicated. We, we decided to do a bunch of different things, you know, so we went in the lab, and we said, would somebody please guard somebody? And that's all we did. Just guard somebody. Just guard someone. And, and how about the back-to-back games for Michigan State? At Iowa, yeah. they're up, what, 13 points with a minute 13 to play yeah. and lose? Yeah. And then the next game out, they're down double figures against Nebraska, come back and win. I mean, that's – Purdue, Indiana at Purdue couldn't look better. Indiana, the very <laughs> next game at home, couldn't look worse. I mean, it's just – that's the greatest thing about sports is that you never know. Yeah. And it and sometimes it just doesn't make sense. 
And uh, that's what that's what sports. That's why you watch. That's why uh, Jimmy bets him like he does because he thinks he knows how it's going to play out, and then it doesn't. <laughs> and he pulls his hair out and he gets upset. It, it's just the way. It's just what draws us into it. You can't script the drama that is live sports. It's completely true. I thought that Jimmy was missing a little bit of hair. Now that you mention it, it's he pulls it out in patches on the sides. You know, on the sides, he just yanks from the sides over there. But uh, yeah, Sparty saved my life or, or my night, not my life, but my night yesterday. You with the loan sharks? Jimmy, or what yeah. are you doing here? No, not not that serious. <laughs> We're not going that heavy on these games. But uh, yeah, Sparty. Good Lord, it was not a winning night for me last night there, Jimmy. Not a winning night, but we rallied a little bit with Sparty, so that was good. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Well, you can never count out Izzo's teams, and I've uh, just what he has been able to do with that program, and you talk about a guy that will lose his mind sometimes on the sideline. I mean, I think that they're, you know, they should come up with a, you know, you can sometimes watch events, sports events like the big, the Super Bowl or, or the NCAA championship where you get the alt- alternate channel mm-hmm. where you, you know, right. you might just yeah. see a certain angle of <laughs> yeah. the field or there the court go. or whatever. I would just like to see one of just Izzo. Yeah. Because man, that guy will get in your face if you are a player or if you are an official, but he will coach them and, uh, and when they lost that game against uh, Iowa, in which Iowa hit those five three-pointers in a row down the stretch, you could almost just feel the sickness oh, in sure. his stomach yeah. as he watched that unfold. I like your Izzocam yeah. idea. Yeah. That's a good, I would watch that. Yeah. By the way, random story for you, Vince. Brian Noah and Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. Um, for the national championship game in college football, I happened to be in Cincinnati was just there for radio stuff that weekend. And uh, I go into a sports bar. We had to run into a sports bar real quick to try to see the game. They had, like, the PA feed. That's the the channel they chose. You know how they do the mega cast? They chose the channel where there's no commentary at all, and it's just the PA guy from time to time. Like, gain of... 12, Georgia, first down. I'm like, why, why would you choose that for a sports bar? Yeah. It's a terrible idea. And somebody I, made that decision and thought yeah. it was the right decision. They're like, oh, this, we're going with the PA guy cam over Oh, here. my goodness. All right, let's welcome in Brandon Gauden, Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, Atlanta Braves, voice of the Madden video game. Good Lord, Brandon. When do you have time to eat and sleep over here with all these jobs? <laughs> He's so busy counting his money, he can't, uh, you know, he doesn't have that opportunity to sleep very often. Now, you know the old saying, when you have two or three quarterbacks, you have none. Maybe when you have two or three or four jobs, you have none. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure it all out right now. I like it, man. Well, you were there for the uh, Butler game. You were on the call. What do you think about Shaka Smart, Marquette? They pick up another win. What were your impressions of the game last night? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, they just dominated Butler. It's tough to say that as a Butler alum. It's been a tough year for the dogs. But Marquette, they came out of nowhere. They were picked ninth in the preseason poll in the Big East, and no one really thought that they would do much this year. So to not only win the Big East, but to have some of the wins on their resume that they do, and right now tracking to be a two- or three-seed in the NCAA tournament, you know, I think when Shaka Smart came on the scene in 2011 with that Final Four of VCU, people thought that the style that he played and the havoc it might not be able to be sustained at a higher level. And he's tweaked it. He's grown up as a coach over the last 11 years. He's doing some different things, even though he does pressure. 
but it, I I think he's a fantastic coach, and this year is Exhibit A of that. They're just they're a great basketball team, and he's a, the leader of that, no doubt. Well, and when you shoot fifty six percent from the floor, I think what even better in the second half would they shoot like sixty five percent? I think from the floor in the second half did Marquette uh, five of seven from three point range. I mean, if you're Butler, that's pretty tough to defend when when Marquette's got it going the way they had it going last night, uh, and you're an undermanned team to begin with. That's a pretty stiff challenge. Yeah, I think what Marquette for people that haven't seen them, if you're filling out your bracket, what makes them such a tough matchup is. First of all, they're just very smart, but they, they do a lot of backdoor cutting, and they're about as good as any team at cutting on the baseline, as I've seen, and just finding ways to get open. And then they have a guy named Tyler Kolick, who's second in the nation in assists, and he just kind of sits around the top of the arc or the elbow, and he just throws little pocket bounce passes to these cutters. And for whatever reason, teams have not been able to figure it out this year, and Butler couldn't figure it out last night, and Marquette seemed like they got everything at the rim at will, and it was a pretty impressive display of basketball. You know, we got to add something else here, Vince. Westwood won. Brandon's doing Westwood <laughs> one stuff for the tournament. So we got to ask about that, Brandon. Um, you know, when you look forward to the NCAA tournament, do you see a team that has a bigger range between really good and really bad play than you see with IU? <laughs> no, no, I do not. <laughs> uh, that and the last two games are just uh, obviously the top example of that. I mean, you go into Purdue and play so well and able to get the win there, and then last night just fall on your face. Now, look, Iowa's good. And I, I don't think people appreciate Iowa that much, and they always kind of get taken for granted because they never go anywhere in the tournament. They're a good team, but there was no reason that Indiana, if they would have lost by two or three, okay. But to just be manhandled the entire game was a real surprise to me. I, I still contend that Indiana can make a run in the tournament. I know that people shake their head at that because of how inconsistent they've been and how you need to be consistent in March, and I get that. But I, I still think that when they're clicking, they are so darn good and so darn tough to defend. And if they could just put that together for a few games in a row, I think they can make a run. But it is, it is tough to bet on them, and I understand why because we've all – seen both sides of this Indiana team and when you see the side that you saw last night it just kind of leaves you scratching your head how about uh, the teams Brandon of all the teams that you've seen that you've been the most impressed with I'll give you one well I mean I think team wise it's Purdue of all the teams that I've seen when when Purdue is going and when Edie is out there doing what he does and those guards are able to knock down shots I think Purdue is as good as anybody in the country. I think, I think that their ceiling is that high. So of the teams I've seen, I'd say that when, when they're on, they're the most impressive, even though they've obviously hit the skids a little bit here the last couple of weeks. I'll give you a team that I've seen a lot that is starting to climb back into the national conversation, and that's UConn. You know, UConn was a team that everybody was hot on. They climbed early, and then they started to fumble things a little bit in January, and they fell out of the national picture. But now they're starting to figure things out again. And when we talk about complete teams, that's what you're looking at in March. And Connecticut has that. They've got a very good center in Adama Sonogo. They've got very good pieces around him. They just kind of have everything that you're looking for. So continue to watch out for UConn. I'll be curious to see what they do in the Big East tournament. But even if they would have an early exit at Madison Square Garden, I still think it's a team that can make a run, a deep run, 
here in the NCAA tournament. He's Brandon Godden joining us here on The Fan. You know, Brandon, you always talk about Cinderella this time of year. Like, who's the no-name team that's going to come from nowhere and do something significant? I like to swing the other way. Who's the anti-Cinderella? Who's one of the top teams that's just going to fall flat, stunner city, maybe a one-and-done? Do you see anybody maybe falling on its face? I think I've watched Alabama, but I have not seen them in person. I've seen about four or five of their games on television. And here's what I'll say about Alabama. They're as talented as any team in the country. There's just no question about it. They have, they have so much on offense. and They're good on the defensive end as well. What you worry about is the obvious, right? There's so much national attention and a lot of scrutiny around that program right now that you wonder if that starts to wear on them and impact them when the NCAA tournament set uh, scene is set. Because, yeah, they're receiving a lot of that attention now, but I think it's going to ratchet up even more. It's going to dominate the storylines. People are going to be asking them about that rather than the games that they're going to be playing. And I just wonder if that doesn't start to impact those guys and they go out and maybe just lay an egg. And I'm not saying it's going to be in the opening round when they're facing a far inferior 16 seed, but maybe in that next game against a good eight or nine seed, they get bounced surprisingly. Again, I'm not predicting that. I just think it's a lot to ask of of, of a team that, Obviously, it's had a lot of negative attention on them recently. And so, look, it's, it's mainly on one player. and We all get that. But all of those guys are having to deal with whatever is swirling around in that locker room. And I just wonder if that won't be too much on them. And I wouldn't be surprised at that. I think that's a great point. And, and I know a lot of controversy surrounding the Alabama program. Joe Lenardi's bracketology just came out for this week. And Alabama is the number one seed, even of the four number ones. Purdue, by the way, was the fourth number one seed with Kansas and Houston, two and three. How about the first four out? He's got North Carolina listed, Michigan listed as a first four out as well. A couple of pretty big blue bloods there missing the NCAA tournament. That would be quite uh, quite the storyline for those programs. Yeah, and I'm curious to see Michigan. You know, tomorrow they're at Illinois, and that's obvious. Every game at this juncture for any team on the bubble, we all say it's big. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's gigantic. But they'll be on the right side of the bubble with the win tomorrow. That certainly wouldn't guarantee them a trip to the dance. But Michigan is another. We talked about Indiana being a Jekyll and Hyde team. And Michigan's another one of those teams. Because I, I think when they get Jet Howard, Juwan Sun, fully healthy, he's been dealing with an injury and he's missed a couple of games. When they get him back out there, they're a totally different ball club. And if they can get him healthy, I think last I saw he was questionable for tomorrow. But if he can return, if they can win a couple games in the Big Ten tournament, I mean, look, we saw what they did last year. They limped into the NCAA tournament as an 11 seed, played there in Indianapolis, and won a couple of games that got to the Sweet 16. And I think as long as they've got Hunter Dickinson, their big fella in the middle, and as long as they've got a healthy Jet Howard, I think they're a team that can win a couple games and march again. So if they get into the dance, that's another team I would say if you see them as a 10, 11, 12 seed, don't discount them because they have loads of talent. Hey, Brandon, now that you're the uh, Braves TV guy, I got to get your your uh, opinion on the Braves spring training. I didn't know I'd go down this road, but the pitch clock violation. So I know this is spring training baseball, but the new rules, it's a big deal. So it's 6-6 six to six the other day against the Red Sox. 
Bottom of the ninth, full count. The batter isn't ready on time. Cal Conley, they punch him out. They say strike three, ball game's over. It's a tie. What do you think about the new rules? Well, just in general, I like the new rules. Nobody wants to see a game in like that. I didn't enjoy watching that. But I, I was at the MLB meetings a couple of weeks ago, and they talked about these rules, obviously, ad nauseum, and said that these umpires are being told it does not matter if it is going to decide a game. You are to enforce these rules as they are written because they really, really, really want to speed the game up. Last year at the minor league level, with these rules, games were 24 minutes faster. I don't think it'll be that significant at the major league level just because it is major league baseball. But if you can shave 15 to 17 minutes off, that's pretty significant. And that's that's the direction that they want to start to trend towards. I don't think we'll see a ton of these end-of-game violations. In fact, very few, if any, once the regular season starts. But it's just a, it's a good lesson for all of these players, the pitchers, the batters, the catchers, as they're going into this, into this, toward the end of the spring training, into the regular season, to understand that these umpires are not messing around and there are no exceptions. And it's going to be interesting to watch it unfold. Brandon, before we let you go, let's bring it back full circle to the game last night. Uh, I know you're a Butler guy and calling the Butler-Marquette game last night. It's been a tough season for Thad Mata in his first year. Lots of injuries, lots of issues. Uh, where does Butler need to uh, to go in relation to moving their program forward as we look down the road? Yeah, basically it needs to be a rebuild. And I hate to say that, but uh, you hope that some of these pieces come back, like Manny Bates, Ali Ali, they they have more eligibility left. But in this era in college basketball, you just don't know who's going to be with you next season because of the NIL and because of the ability to transfer. So Thad Mata and his staff, and look, I, I don't, they didn't say this to me, but they, they know they're going to have to go out and get a couple of key transfers to try to make next year a little better. I think now that Thad is kind of back in the game and understanding now how this new world of recruiting is operating because it's much different than when he left Ohio State a handful of years ago. I think now that he's got his feet underneath him and his staff knows what they need to do, they're going to be hitting the pavement hard if they haven't already to try to identify guys that are going to fit into their system. But, but look, let's just call it what it is. I think the staff would agree. By, by all accounts, this has been a frustrating year and not what anybody expected, and hopefully next year things will get a lot better. You know, i, I got to tell you, it's exactly what I expected. Uh, I expected it to be a huge struggle. You know, you can be a great coach, but and, and you've seen it, uh, Brandon, players win games. I mean, if you don't have players in the Big East – you're not going to compete and you're not going to win. And on a ta- from a talent perspective, uh, and granted, they've had some injuries, uh, but Butler is below the norm, below average in the level of talent um, as what you see in other schools around the Big East that are playing at the top level. I think we saw it last night with Marquette. You can coach them, but man, you better have the horses or you're not going to have that kind of success. No, you're right. There is a gap. There's a clear gap that needs to be closed. I think what surprised me, though, is the number of losses hasn't shocked me. I think it's the way that they've lost some of these games. I think their average margin of defeat in Big East play is around 18 or 19 points. And, and that, that's, that's surprising. Again, the, the talent gap, you, you saw, okay, they might not 
get into the NCAA tournament. But the way that some of these losses have transpired, that's the thing that has been kind of hard to swallow. Hey, Brandon, you're the man. Appreciate the time today, man. We'll catch you down the road. Thanks for having me, guys. Have a great day. Yep. You too. There he is, Brandon Godden. What a good Fox dude, Sports, man. Big Ten Network, Braves yeah. TV, play-by-play guy, voice of the Madden video game. I wonder if he's ever met the main dude, like, it's in the game. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, the cool thing about Brandon is uh, all of that success, and he's still, and I think you probably could hear it you know, just in, in his conversation, still approaches his jobs with humility um, confident about what he knows, but isn't uh, by any stretch of the uh, imagination cocky about his position in the game. And um, I think that's what makes him desirable from all those outlets that uh, uh, that hire him. He's extremely knowledgeable, he's extremely talented, and he doesn't bring a lot of BS uh, with him in, in the suitcase. I had a different feeling, i got to be honest. I felt egomaniac. That's what I felt. <laughs> felt egomaniac from Brandon. No, I'm kidding, but... And a, your... butler, and a butler guy, a so butler I guy. love it when the, lo- when the, you know, kind of the local... Uh, flavor ends up uh, ends up showing itself at the national level. Would you rather meet the EA Sports? It's in the game, guy, or Westwood One? You know the big <laughs> gravelly. I think I'd rather meet that guy. Somebody, you, Vince. Somebody's making some good jack on the uh, just on the voiceover work uh, with those two properties. Man, can you imagine if they're like, "I need more money," or "I'm gone"? Yeah. They're like, "Okay, It'll back up you. the Brinks truck." I think we have to. <laughs> All right, coming up next. How would you describe this game? My word is psychotic. We'll see what Vince's word is next. I'm Brian. No, he's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian. No, he's Vince Welch. Here on the fan. So the Pacers went. Pacers have won back-to-back road games over here, Vince. How about that? Break them out. It's a nice four-game road trip. You know, they beat Orlando. They beat Dallas last night, and that was a nice win. Uh, Luka had 39, but the Pacers still managed to win. Kyrie Irving missed a three at the at the buzzer, and uh, McConnell was doing a good job uh, defensively on him for that, uh, that possession. How do you keep Luka from getting the ball? I mean, that's probably the best part of the yeah. defensive possession for Indiana yeah. at the end was keeping it out of the hands of Luka. But, uh, yeah, back-to-back wins uh, for Indiana on this four-game road trip. And they're at San Antonio tomorrow night. And the Spurs just snapped a 16-game losing streak. They won against Utah last night. So, I think that's a game the Pacers can get as well. So, it would be a nice way to uh, – I mean, it's already a nice start to the trip. But, man, if you could get another one. Three, three on the road. Woo. Three on the road, yeah. I'm in tank mode, Vince. I'm like – Let's lose all these freaking games. <laughs> I think that sets your franchise up potentially for better success down the road. It's it's a weird thing, right? Because we're programmed to win, right? We want to win. We want to see our team win. Win, win, win. It's like Herm Edwards. Hello, you play to win the yeah. game. And so it's a weird dynamic where what does getting to, I don't know, 35 wins do for you nothing i think tanking is something that the fans and the media uh succumb to you know that little carrot that's dangling but if you're a player or a coach or a gm absolutely you know you're going you want to win that's why you're at that level because you're a winner 
and um, and I can assure you the players aren't tanking that. And, oh, yeah, yeah. And with three first-round draft picks, the Pacers are going to get good – what I like about having three first-round draft picks is you're in a position to move up uh, with the best pick mm-hmm. if you want to package something together. So uh, it, it is tough. You know, when they're right there, what are they, uh, 28 and 35? Yeah. So, you know, they're – it's it is it is kind of in that position, but I like what they I like their young talent. I like what uh, you know some of the patience that's being shown. You know, Rick Carlisle I think is that veteran guy on the bench that that uh, you know that's been there, done that. He knows what he's got. Um, you know, the front office has done a good job. I I think that you know they're missing a few pieces yet, uh, but. Um, they're a lot better than we thought they were going to be. But I get where you're at. You know, yeah. middle of the road is almost the worst place to be. It is. Right? And that's the thing is, I've really never done this before, but I'm looking at the standings on a nightly basis in reverse for yeah. the Pacers. And I want the Pacers to be a bottom five team. When the lottery rolls around, maybe a strike gold. Can you imagine? I mean, think when the Bulls got Derrick Rose. They were low in the pecking order. They were not a team that had the best odds. They were pretty – I forget what they were. I'd have to look it up. Maybe like the eighth best odds or something like that. They end up with the number one overall pick. Can you imagine if the Pacers ended up with number one overall and you can get this stud freak win Bignana? That would be unbelievable. So I just look at the standings in reverse here, Vince. And every win, it's just so counterintuitive. Every win, I'm like, they're losing ground. (laughs) I look at them. They've got 28 wins. The Bulls have 28 wins. Thunder have 28 wins. The Lakers, Blazers, Wizards all have 29 apiece. So every win, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're losing ground over here. But you're completely right. The players, the coaches, they're battling. They're going out there. They're trying to win. And I applaud them for that. And I halfway apologize for even saying these things because think how frustrating it would be from their standpoint. If someone's driving around and just hears someone like me saying this stuff while they're battling and grinding, I'd want to tear my hair out like Jimmy was last night when I you got clobbered. You yeah, know? Well, I think that it's, it's a legitimate, from a fan's perspective, though, I mean, it, you want the best team you can possibly have because you want to go and root and cheer and you want to see your team win the championship. And sometimes you got to have that, that genera- once-in-a-generation player, right? I mean, uh, but not that that always guarantees that you're, you know, Greg Oden, you know, man, the folks in Portland thought, God and God bless Oden, because he's one of the greatest sure. high school, college players, you know, to ever grace the court didn't work out because of injuries. Uh, Sam Bowie was another guy that, uh, if you want to go back years, was a phenomenal player, expected to be a guy who was going to change the landscape of the game. Foot injury kept him. you know. So you never know how the injuries are going to play out uh, on a player coming in. But when you get an opportunity to draft for first or second, you feel like you're going to get a player that's going to change the yeah. the landscape. He's going to change your franchise. And... Um, um, but man, that's a price to pay <laughs> losing all of those games I, to get there. And it's, uh, it's kind of, again, you know, we talked earlier about live sports and sports and it just doesn't make sense sometimes. Sure. And, and in a way that that's another example of that. You got to be bad to be good. That's right. Eight um, spots. 
eight for spots the for D Rose back in 2008. Yeah. They yeah. Uh, had 17 chances or a 1.7% chance to get number one. And they've tweaked it a little bit. Yeah, where now, the, now it's the bottom even three. For the top four. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I will say this, though. I would rather the Pacers be competitive as they are being now with this group of players and take their top their three draft picks in the first round and if they've got to put something together i mean they've already I mean, they've got enough players i mean you, at this point you got to get the right players and uh to take those three first round draft picks and trade up they've got an incredible amount of draft stock available to use those to put a package together to move up in the draft and maybe get a guy who then can be that type of impact player that maybe you don't get it 10 here's not, my not that you couldn't get that guy at 10 but you know what i'm saying here's my counter to that and i obviously want you to respond to it because i've heard people say that same argument and i agree in a perfect world you give three first rounders to move up it makes sense they're not letting you for Wembenyama. well not just that that's a massive point of it but also those two second or those two first round picks that they have the other two outside of their own are essentially second round picks it's like pick 27 and pick 30 the ground that you are going to make up, I don't feel is as great if it was the 12th pick and, and the 14th pick. You're basically picking early stages, second round, even though it is back end of the first. No, I hear you. And that's the thing is, <laughs> there isn't much I wouldn't do for Wembenyama. <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, I, I, short of making a deal with the devil, <laughs> there isn't much I wouldn't do for Wembenyama. And so if we're talking about just losing games, like... Hey, Halliburton's got a calf injury, and Miles Turner's got his ongoing lower back problem, and we're just losing games left and right. Okay, sign me up for that. I'd absolutely do that. I don't. I don't think whoever gets whoever gets that first pick. I don't think you could trade enough to them to give up exactly. that spot. That's the thing. Or even for the second pick and getting Scoot. I mean, I think you know he is. If not for women, Yana, you'd be talking about Scoot being the the guy that everybody wanted. So uh, I don't think you're going to trade up to one or two. Um, so I don't think that's happening anyway, regardless and, of what kind of package you offer them. Right. Well, and that's the other thing is you could say, hey, so cool, we tank. We trust the process, a la Sam Hinkie, you know? And and what if we don't end up with a top mm-hmm. two pick? Yeah. So we just basically said, you know, bleep you to the fans, and, and we don't even have a number one or a number two overall pick. But I, I want as many ping pong balls as possible. Is yeah, all I'm I get it. Yeah, I get yeah. it. And, uh, and, you know, you get the best opportunity. You get, and that's the thing about players you know is that you never know i mean there's you can go down through the history of the nba and you can find guys that uh, were great as a number 10 overall pick i'm sure or guys that were oh. selected 10 and were a bust totally or guys that were selected seventh and were a bust but 10th and were great oh so, you could play that i game mean all you day. just sure. don't you just don't know you've got to you know and that's why you know when we look at the nfl draft and and obviously that's coming up um you know at the end of the month and with the combine here in town there's so much talk about that even if you go up and you, you know, there's talk about, you know, the Colts, do they go up and get their the number one pick? There's no guarantee yeah. that just because you go up and get that guy that he's going to end up being the guy. Yeah. And so they still got to play out. They still, you know, that's the human nature of the game is it's always a bit of a roll of the dice. By the way, what would be your word to describe the Pacers game last night? I would go psychotic. The reasons would be huge swings. 
like runs by both teams just when you think, okay, the Mavs have taken control. Here come the Pacers on a 10-0 run and vice versa. The craziest part was at the end of the game, we're talking a little more than six minutes to go. Pacers are up by 11. They score three points and hold on for the win. And also... The, the Mavs, they cut it to a one-point deficit. It was 121 to 120. They shot five three-pointers and only attempted one <laughs> two-pointer that was blocked. And they end up losing. That's insane to me. Yeah, my, my word would be relief. Because I thought for sure that was going to be a game the Pacers were going to lose. Yeah. You know, after you said being up double figures there with six to go, and then when the Mavs had a final shot at it, I thought... You know, this is the game. This is the kind of game the Pacers lose. You know, on the road, they've they really should have had it, could have had it. They they've um, you know been in position to win it, but so many times we've seen that be the case, and then it evaporates at the end. And uh, so relief for me when I watch, I was like, "Whoo!" Got out of there with that one. That was another in-game loss, Jimmy. Everything Vince said right there was my thinking. I'm like, Mavs are probably going to pull this out. Like, I didn't bet the farm on them, but. Lost a couple of chickens, you know. The live bet giveth, the live bet taketh away. That's exactly <laughs> right, my friend. Exactly right. All right, coming up next, if you had to compare IU basketball to an NFL team, which NFL team would you choose? I've got one in mind. We'll get Vince to weigh in as well. Keep it locked right here. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, Jimmy, are we going to get some Slayer today? You've been holding out on me. You know, I do love Outcast. It's fine. But any Lamb of God, any heavy metal today on tap? Come on. Since you asked nicely. Really? I, oh, that's I'd, I'd be lying to you, and I know this will lose some cred between you and I. I'd be lying if I could name you a song <sighs> by Slayer or Lamb of God, but I'll, I'll, I'll go to Apple rough. Top Hits, and we'll get one going for you. It's rough. Brian Noah and Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. What kind of music you get down with there, Vince? What's your go-to? Uh, I like classic rock, um, uh, country. A lot of listen yeah. to a lot of country music, so... Um, uh, not too much. Uh, a little hip hop. Yeah. Uh, I like some old school Eminem, you know, go back uh, a little ways on that. But um, not much of a uh, electronics or dance beat uh, type of uh, <laughs> listener. But uh-huh. uh, but I like gangster I like rap. A, I like a song that tells. I like a song that tells a story. <laughs> yeah, I like yeah. a song that tells a story. And sometimes that's uh, rap. Sometimes that's country. And and uh, but uh, classic rock. A lot of that. There you go. Yeah. Van Halen, Led Zeppelin. Yeah, nice. uh, you know, go back in that era. I can get down with that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely can get down with that. How about this? I was thinking about this with IU basketball, Vince. If we were to compare them to an NFL team, think NFL franchise, right? More so a franchise. Um, which would you compare them to? I've been giving this a little bit of thought. I would go with the Dallas Cowboys. Hmm. And hear me out on this. There are a lot of things that line up. I was just thinking when we were talking to Brandon Gauden at the beginning mm-hmm. of the show, and we were talking about IU's ceiling and their floor and how different it is between those two. We saw it play out the last two games, right? And I think that's very similar with the Cowboys. If you think this past season, they've got the talent to make a run, but they also have this thing called the floor, <laughs> and you can see them go one and done. 
I see something similar right here right now with IU. When Brandon was saying, hey, IU can go on a run, I completely agree with that. But IU is a team that can either make you look really smart if you back them or really stupid if you back Mm. them. They have the potential to do either. And then it also lines up from a historical standpoint as well. You think about the Cowboys. They win three of four Super Bowls in the early 90s. You think about IU hoops. Last time they won was 87. So both teams haven't won jack for a while. That lines up. Proud, historic, lots of success, respected, you know. Uh, But they just, they haven't done it for a while. And they still have that talent. They have that potential. But you don't want to bang the table and say, Cowboys, look out for them because they can make you look stupid. I think the same thing holds true with IU hoops right now. And I think that's a great point in, in comparison. And and it seems like there are teams and programs where the expectations or the fan base thinks it's going to be this year every year. Yeah. Um, when you first brought that that point up, the first team that came to my mind was the Green Bay Packers because with, and with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, everybody always thinks they're capable. You know, they've got the quarterback. They can do it because he's one of the best. So, uh, you know, a lot of people predict, okay, Packers are going to win it all. They didn't even make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So I I see that. That's kind of the comparison I looked at. Indiana could be a team that may have the potential, if they're hitting on all cylinders, to make a deep run in the tournament, or they could be one and done. Yeah. You know, and a buddy of mine sent me a text that said, man, if Indiana's a five seed, you know, which some folks have, you know, kind of projected Indiana coming in on the five line, how many times in your tournaments, uh, tournament brackets, do you look at that five, 12, and pick the 12? Uh, yeah, a lot of times. And because that's, you know, that's the upset. Sure. That's the upset line, right? 12 and five. So, um, I could see Indiana being one and done. Yeah. And it's it just depends on on what kind of team we see on the floor on that given night. And and that goes for a lot of different teams, but it does seem like Indiana's a little more susceptible to that. Yeah, I like that comparison. That's a good one with the Packers because I think of IU Hoops and the Packers kind of like a heritage radio station. Just like it's been well respected forever, and isn't yeah. it kind of the same? Well, and, with those? And, and like with the Packers, you've got Aaron Rodgers; he's the star. And with Indiana, you've got Trace Jackson Davis; yeah. he's the star. But they can't do it on their own mm-hmm. and win the championship. And so, and Trace Jackson Davis can't do it on his own and win the championships. You got to have guys around them that fill their roles and and not just make an impact. But Jimmy Johnson's old, you know, the old uh, Miami Hurricanes and Dallas Cowboys coach would say. Bad plays beat you more often than good plays win for you. Yeah. So, you know, the great play winning for you isn't going to be as as, uh, frequent as the bad plays beating you are. Yeah. And um, and I think that with those kind of teams, you got to have those guys around the star step up and and have some impact and not cost you. And because if they cost you, that's going to be more dangerous, more detrimental than the potential great play that they can just do your job. Yeah. Come and do your job right. on that day. Whatever your job is, and it's different for everybody, but do your job. It's, it's so true. Belichick's whole philosophy can apply to numerous teams, numerous sports, the whole thing. It's true. Just The take right care. guard gets... You know, doesn't get a lot of love. Yeah. But if the right guard has a bad day, that's right. 
And you their get, quarterback. You get Mahomes killed. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, good. Hey, by the way, are you uh, sick to your stomach with this Aaron Rodgers news? You bring him up, but uh, I've got a little more for you if uh, well, you, don't, you don't lose he's your He's out lunch. of the dark. <laughs> he's now. out of the dark yeah. now. He's on another podcast. Yeah. Another one, as DJ Khaled says, on the Aubrey Marcus podcast. I love this. He's talking about his playing future and mm. will he play for the Packers? Will he play elsewhere? That sort of thing. And he says, if you don't like it, and you think it's drama, and you think I'm being a diva, then just tune it out. That is the ultimate diva statement right there. It's not, you know, I I know what everybody's saying. I'll make a decision very quickly. It's not, I'll change my behavior. It's, hey, you guys just get over it. Yeah, if you don't like it, go elsewhere. (laughs) I'm just going to do whatever I want to do and freaking deal with it. That's basically what he just said. And that's what he's been saying for years, yeah. right? I mean, really, as the quarterback, I'm going to be, th- I'm going to be who I am, and you're going to put people around me, or you're going to either a lose me, or we're going to lose. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, you know, no matter how much baggage you bring, though, if you're great, yeah, and you're and you can win games for your team, I mean, that put a. They put there's some pretty bad guys out there that teams would line up for hey, if they were going to help them win games. Amen to that. The thing with Rodgers, he lost Devontae Adams last yeah. season, and that impacted his numbers. He's not like 45 touchdowns and four picks guy anymore. He's 26 touchdowns yeah. and 12 picks. Yeah. That's like dating the supermodel that's high maintenance that doesn't look good anymore. <laughs> or as good anymore, right? Yeah. Like, how much are you willing to put up with? Well, and everybody ages out. Yeah. And uh, the rosters change. You know, and that's one of the things that I admire about about certain players and certain coaches that with the times changing, the rosters change, and yet they remain successful. You know, you got to tip your hat to Belichick on that. The folks at Indy don't like to, you know, we don't right, like to do right. that here because of the rivalry. But, uh, you know, Andy Reid, he's doing that in Kansas. You know, the coaches that the NFL level that everything around them changes, but at the end of the season, you still see them up at the top of the standings. Yeah, yeah. Well, Most often. you got to buy into team, yeah. you know, and we harp on Kyrie being individual. Aaron Rodgers is as individual as it gets in the ultimate team sport, yeah. and that has an effect. All right, we got Jeremiah Johnson coming up next, sideline reporter for Bally Sports Indiana. Very much looking forward to that. Would he call the game last night psychotic? I don't know. We'll find out. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Got a little headbanging going on. He, Jimmy just went straight into the deep end of the pool on us over here. He didn't ease into the waters of Slayer. I got a quick story for you, Vince, real fast. So I went to a Slayer concert. Actually, it was Indianapolis a long time ago. And I go to the bathroom. Nothing weird's going to be, be happening here. So I'm doing my thing. And, uh, you know, the rule at the urinals is stare straight ahead. That's the way it is. I was staring straight ahead. And the guy next to me, I can tell, is just hammered. Hammered. He's just staggering around. And he goes, Slayer! He's just looking right at me. And I just kind of looked over at him. And the only appropriate response, Vince, is Slayer! And we were like best friends. There you go. At that point on, yeah. At the urinal. Yeah, at the urinal. 
We just kind of went our separate ways. <laughs> good, that was it. good call. Yeah. He's Brian No, I'm Vince Welch. Jimmy Cook is uh, pushing the buttons <laughs> and uh, making sure that the FCC isn't calling us. Uh, glad to have you with us at 93.5107.5 The Fan on this uh, gorgeous Wednesday afternoon as we look out the window here at the Monument Circle. It's a good day. I hope you're enjoying it wherever you are. Pacer fans enjoying things a little bit uh, better today after another strong performance on the road last night. We'll bring in Jeremiah Johnson from Bally Sports Indiana, sideline report reporter for the Indiana Pacers telecasts and Indiana has now won back-to-back games on the road winners of three of the last four and going to San Antonio for the game tomorrow night where the Spurs had recently had a 16 game losing streak just snapped that by beating Utah last night but seems to be Jeremiah a gettable game for Indiana again tomorrow night it is a gettable game and it's been a better road trip than I think anyone could have anticipated as you mentioned it had been two months without winning a road game. And now they've won their last two. And Orlando was one maybe you thought they could get. I don't think that very many people expected Dallas, a team that blew a 26-point lead to the Lakers on Sunday, and you figure they would be agitated and they're fighting for positioning in the Western Conference. I don't think many gave the Pacers a chance. And it was an important game for a lot of Pacers with Dallas roots. And and those guys played well. The coaches coached well. And the Pacers got a two-point win. Yeah, take us back to that, uh, the Dallas roots storyline, because uh, a lot of folks that are listening may not be quite as familiar. Yeah, so Miles Turner, obviously born and raised in the Dallas area. This is always an important game for him. But think about the coaching staff. Rick Carlisle won an NBA championship in Dallas, and there's only one trip a year to Dallas. So this was that one game. The media room for his pregame interview session was as crowded as any have been all season long. And and his daughter, Abby, is still a senior in the Dallas area. So it was nice to have an extended stay. The Pacers were actually in Dallas for three days. And you add in the assistant coaches that he had in Dallas that are with the Pacers and Mike Weiner and Jenny Busick. And then maybe we weren't as familiar with Buddy Heal. We think of him as uh, the player from the Bahamas, but he has a house in Dallas as well. And he actually invited the team as we documented during the broadcast to his gym at his house yeah how about that uh, give us around. yeah give us the breakdown on you know the the nice indoor gymnasium i mean this wasn't just like the the basket stuffed over in the corner i mean this was a blown out gym right uh, exactly i mean i don't know that it's full nba regulation but i think you could probably play a high school game there and it's a little tough it uh, on the edges by the out-of-bounds lines, you're, you're a step away from the nice artificial grass that he has in his yard, but it was immaculate inside. I mean, you had the pictures from all of his accolades and accomplishments during his basketball career. There was probably a, a 90-foot television monitor on the wall and then brand-new weight equipment all around, and it was just a great vibe and a great atmosphere. And you think about 41 road games, 82 games in a regular season, you're into March with only 20 remaining. Things can get maybe a little monotonous and things like this. I think Rick Carlisle and his staff have done a really good job. I think it was their idea. They brought it up with Buddy, and he was he was welcoming by all means, and he had his family there as well. So just to mix things up a little bit, it was a surprise to the players. No one knew on the way to shoot around that the bus was not going to the American Airlines Center. But when I got on the interstate, I think people started to wonder, what what's going on here? Where, where are they taking <laughs> Where are we going? <laughs> it ended up being a productive shoot-around and it led to a really entertaining and successful game. I saw Mike Conley Jr.'s gym one time. I think it was actually – it was during the pandemic. Remember how they did the horse competition remotely? Oh, right. Yeah, and yep. Conley's hitting all these shots in his home gym. Whose home gym was better there, Jeremiah? Is it Conley Jr. or was it Buddy Heald's? I don't remember all the details, but fresh in my mind, it would be hard to chop 
uh, Buddy Heald, and it was fun afterwards. Uh, Tyrese Halliburton said to Buddy, he said, you know what, you, you better never complain about anything the rest of your life. You've, like, you've got it good. And I, I did think when I was in there, you, you think about Buddy Heald, he wasn't highly recruited from the Bahamas. He almost had to sell himself to a junior college program to get that opportunity and where he's at right now. And it's, you can't say to every you know 10-year-old player, work this hard and this is what you can be. But you can tell people, even if you're not highly recruited, if you work really hard, Sometimes things like that are possible, and Buddy has put in the work. And he told me after uh, the shoot-around yesterday that he gets in trouble in the summer months because the house is right next to the gym and there's a pool in between, but he doesn't spend as much time in his house. He's just always shooting baskets in the gym and having other NBA players over to work out. So he's got to have that balance, but he's all basketball all the time. You know, this isn't a diss. It's going to sound like it, but it's really not meant this way with the Pacers because they haven't been road warriors, and Dallas has a lot of talent. So based on how the game was playing out, were there stages where you said, oh, man, the Pacers are screwed right now? Did that thought go through your head at all last night, Jeremiah? Well, in that two-month, 11-game losing streak on the road, you definitely felt that. But once you won that game on Saturday, and I do think that game after the All-Star break, even though they lost to the Celtics, it was a positive sign. Um, I maybe felt that way a little bit in the third quarter. The Pacers had a 10-point lead at halftime, and midway through the third, they were down by four. But one of the things that, that Tyrese Halliburton, I think, has led the way and been so good is that when teams go on run, he runs, he's been able to counter and answer those. And so Dallas went on, I think, a 10-0 run. They took a four-point lead, and you snap your finger – and there were a couple of hustle plays on the defensive end that led to fast break opportunities, and all of a sudden the Pacers scored 10 straight points. So it was back and forth a little bit. I know it wasn't a perfect game down the stretch, the final six minutes. I don't think the Pacers had a made field goal. They had a couple of free throws. They missed a couple of free throws late, and they were able to get one last stop, and and they were able to do just enough late third and early fourth quarter to then win that game and hold off the Mavericks. So you did think that at times, and when when Luka hits some shots and the crowd's going crazy and Luka's uh, walking to the free-throw line a few times, uh, you can think, ah, this may not be the Pacers' night, especially when Andrew Nemhard missed those free-throws. But one last stop, and they gave the ball to Kyrie Irving, which was a little surprising to me, and the Pacers escaped with a win. You mentioned Tyrese Halliburton. He had 32 points last night for the Pacers along with six assists. But what impressed me most about his stat line, zero turnovers in 34 minutes, especially (laughs) as much as he handles the ball to have zero turnovers in the NBA in a 34-minute performance. uh, Man, that's impressive. Yeah, and he's not playing cautious basketball. I mean, if anything, you would give him the benefit of the doubt if he had four or five uh, turnovers because of the assists and the opportunities he creates for his teammates. And that's one of the things that early on there were a couple of games like this where you really realize just how special he is. There are so many good guards in the NBA right now. I I feel like it's it's a guards league, and every night you're looking at some difficult matchups. But – there are not too many that can put together a night with 32 points, have the six assists, and have zero turnovers. And that's just – it's remarkable, and it puts the Pacers in a really good position moving forward because they know he's going to find his teammates. If the situation calls for it, he's going to score. I mean, I don't remember any Tyrese Halliburton games with 15 free throw attempts. So that was another promising development. He's never going to be a guy that's going to be getting to the free throw line with regularity, but maybe just – starting to get a little more respect from some of the officials is a real positive. So uh, you don't want to take Tyrese Halliburton for granted, but I'm glad you pointed out that, that zero turnover number. 
Uh, what word would you use, Jeremiah, to describe last night's Pacers game? I went with psychotic. It was just a wild game. Uh, Vince went with relief is how he described it. How would you describe it? Uh, it was a little sluggish early. Referee dominated in terms of the fouls. Uh, so one word is going to be difficult because I did feel like it was kind of two different games. Um, whiny might be the word coming out of it. <laughs> you know, where I sit, I can get a little frustrated sometimes with the antics of, of the opposition. And when you don't watch every Mavericks game, but then you do see Luka Doncic for the first time, and he continues to just complain Every time he misses a shot, it's it's got to be someone else's fault. And I know that some of it's gamesmanship and you're trying to get the calls, but I think he takes it to another level. And it has to be frustrating for the officials to just have to constantly deal with that. Not saying that the Pacers are um, not without guilt in this. There are times I feel like they complain a little too much, but I think he takes it to another level. So. I'm going to say whiny from the birthday boy. Look at that. Yeah, and you see all the teams, all the players. Who is the whiniest player in the league? <laughs> He's on the short we list. Actually, <laughs> a couple of us were having a discussion about this uh, on the bus or actually on the airplane before we took off yesterday. And I believe on your same radio airwaves, it was a discussion that, that Mark Boyle had with Pat Boylan. So they, they kind of laid the groundwork for this one. So it is fresh in my mind. And uh, they put Luca near the top. I said that Kyle Lowry is near the top of my list. Ooh. He's always been someone that I've uh, uh, kind of have wanted to kind of gouge my eyes out a little bit at times when watching him because it was frustrating and him trying to sell the calls. And <laughs> for as great as LeBron is, oh, I think he winds a little bit awful. too much as well. Yeah. So. Uh, good showing last night. Miles Turner, 10 of 13 from the floor, 24 points. Uh, but. I was really impressed with a couple of guys off the bench and uh, Jalen Smith, who evidently has been released from the witness protection program and uh, Jordan, uh, Jordan Nuora, who had 16 Jalen Smith, 11 points and nine rebounds. And it was just good to see those minutes from those guys. Yeah. You can make a case. The last two wins, you give them maybe not player of the game's honors. Actually, I interviewed Jordan Nuora after the win against the magic, but the Pacers don't win without them. And Wara with the 16 and, and Jalen Smith with the 11. And I think the Pacers need what Jalen Smith provides. He's still young. He's still figuring it out with consistent minutes. So if you watch Jalen Smith, maybe there's a time he fumbles a ball that's passed to him or doesn't quite corral the rebound. But he's never going to be lacking in effort. He brings a little bit of physicality that you need when there are times this team struggles to get that critical defensive rebound. And I think that the Pacers, they want to win every game they can, obviously. And they're maybe creeping back into the play-in picture. But it's really important over these final 20 games to get a good chance to see exactly what you have with Jalen Smith as you're building the roster and, and looking at the offseason. Is he the player kind of you want to maybe build around as, as a backup center or someone that you can put in your rotation moving forward? So I'm glad to see Jalen Smith get the opportunity. It's been, I'm sure, a struggle for he and Isaiah Jackson because this team had so many centers and they were kind of leaning towards uh, one center and four, uh, you know, smallish player lineup, not going with the two bigs. And so that's limited their opportunities. I still think you're going to see over these final 19 games, you're going to see Isaiah Jackson get an opportunity because he does things a little bit differently than Jalen Smith. But the one thing I did bring up with Jalen a couple of days ago, is he had five blocks, I think, against the Magic, maybe six. And when you think of Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith on a blocks per minute uh, number, they're, I think they're all at least in the top ten or they all have that capability. And so 
they do have a nice rotation of bigs that can run the floor and can block shots, and they're all relatively young. Say what you want about Miles Turner. I know eighth NBA season. He's still young. He's still in his prime. And so they've got a good foundation in the front court. He's Jeremiah Johnson, sideline reporter for Bally Sports Indiana here on The Fan. You know, Jeremiah, I want the Pacers to lose every game. (laughs) And I'm just being honest because I think that draft-wise puts them in the best potential spot to have a brighter future. So I'm thinking more long run here. But the question is, when you're with the team, Day in and day out, and you see the work they put in, and you see the grind and the professionalism and all of that, and you hear the tanking conversation or the losing conversation where someone's thinking about the long run, what do you make of that whole thing? Well, the good thing is I think when the season started, I was a little worried that the conversation would have been a little louder than it has been. I understand the feeling of you and some fans when you see what happened in in January and early February and you think, okay, well, this was a fun season. Now let's focus on things um, that really matter. But that's nothing that a player can be concerned about. I mean, you're at the NFL Combine, or you guys are talking a lot about that this week. A player that's currently on a roster, the way they view the draft is someone that might come in and try to take their opportunity. So when they're going to play, that's the last thing they're concerned about. Now, obviously, once the season is over, you've got young players that are going to be here for a while, and they're looking at – making this team as good as it can possibly get. And the draft is a big part of that. But um, I will say it's not been that loud of a conversation. And I am interested to see the rest of this road trip and maybe into next week. Because coming out of the All-Star break, you had four out of five on the road. And then I think you've you've got that home game against Philly. Then you're at – you play Houston. And what I said was of the first ten out of the break, there was an opportunity to make one last push. And if you're not able to do that – Reality probably would set in, and even the most, you know, win every game you can Pacers fan might acknowledge what you were saying earlier. But the the coaches and the players, I mean, they're here to win. And I know being on the road, it's a lot different feeling on that bus and in that airplane and at shoot-arounds and practices when you get a win. And they've not been able to experience that for a couple of months, and it wasn't through lack of effort. So I do feel good that they were able to have that win in Orlando and then follow that up with a game that no one expected you to win. Those are the best kind the wins that no one thinks you can win. And to get that in Dallas, we're headed to practice here in San Antonio shortly. I'm guessing that um, there's going to be a really good vibe around the team. And so there are all the teams that are maybe 10th through 15th in their respective conferences. They're kind of close. So I think it'll all work itself out accordingly, and you'll just have to see what happens. And maybe you hope the basketball gods shine on you at some point because the Patriots, I think they could be due for a little bit of luck in that area. You getting any shots up on the road at all, Jeremiah? Um, Every once in a while, you know, sometimes we get to the gym before the players do, and there's a, a, a rack of basketball sitting right there, and it's March now, and so I can't help but get the juices flowing a little bit. I put up some shots in the practice court in Dallas, uh, the other day, but I do know that I haven't run up and down in, in a full court <laughs> setting for a while, and I'm not sure that I'm prepared to do that yet. I'll stick to I'll stick to the treadmill for my cardio. Yeah, protect the Achilles. Just uh, get up the shots. Don't be running up and down the floor. Yeah, what's a Hoosier always a Hoosier. There you go. You knock down those shots. There you go. Good stuff. Thanks, Jeremiah. Appreciate you, buddy. Bye. Thank you, guys. Uh, it's Jeremiah Johnson, uh, Valley Sports Indiana Pacers, a 124-122 winner over Dallas last night. Pacers have now won three of the last four and back at it tomorrow night against San Antonio. Hey, by uh, the way, Vince, yeah. when we're talking about the whiners in yeah. the NBA, I think that Luca's whiny face 
accentuates his whininess and separates himself from the other whiners. Are you with me on that? There's yeah, something I, about his yeah. face. He just, it's like he's crying in a way. Like, eh, how could you not call that? I think that puts him in the elite of the elite territory. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. He's got that, uh, he's got that look. Uh, what are they, uh, you know, it's called bitch face sometimes, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and, and somebody, sometimes people just have it, you know, they're not naturally a smiler or, yeah. you know, they've always got kind of that frown, yeah. or, and, but he's kind of got that whiny look on his. It's a little bit like now. Eli was just moping. Eli yeah, Manning, yeah. when things weren't going his way, he would have the moping face. But it's along similar lines with Luca. I think the Eli moping face, it just stands out in your mind more. You Isn't know? it amazing, though, about Eli, the sense of humor that we have now yeah. seen from it? Because I, I'm with you. You know, as the quarterback, he always kind of did have that look. And yeah. like he would be the least likely guy you'd want to hang out with. And now with the Manning cast and all the different things he's doing out outside of the game now that he's retired he seems like maybe he would be the guy you'd want to hang with absolutely he really does and it's funny I think the same thing with Peyton where Peyton was so business-like he was a grinder he was all about the task at hand and all that stuff and now that his career is over both Peyton and Eli are hilarious yeah and I never thought they were going to be that funny I should have known when Peyton did the SNL thing and the skit with the ymca was just hysterical yeah i should have known throwing at the kids but I, yeah. I i was so used to like a decade and a half of him being so serious that i'm pleasantly surprised he's this funny i should have known from the commercials also he always had the timing and it was just good stuff with peyton manning so i'm happy they're both funny the uh Pacers winners last night and uh, I saw some high school hoops last night too uh, came home from that and had to you know thankfully able to rewind and, and watch the games and that was a busy night last night with watching IU and then and the Pacers back but uh, saw a couple of good high school games last night high school sectional action going on around the state Jimmy was uh, down on the south side really? calling some games look and at, uh, Jimbo over there I saw Carmel and Westfield big win for Westfield knocking off Carmel at the uh, Carmel home gym and then the second game was Fishers and Hamilton Southeastern. If you get a chance to see Fishers, they've got a sophomore, uh, Jalen Harrelson, who had 30-plus last night, and he is a really solid player. 6'7", sophomore, and if you get a chance along the tournament trail, uh, I guess they'll be playing Friday night in the sectional semifinals. You might want to go and check him out. So he is legitimate, that's for sure. Always good to see these kids when they're young. And because we're going to likely be watching them for years to come, but uh, to say, yeah, I saw that kid when he was a you know sure. sophomore, you know Damon Bailey. I remember Damon Bailey oh, as man. a freshman, you know, seeing him as a freshman in high school, and then you know as his career uh, went on, and and uh, so many expectations, and yet lived up to them all. It seems so. It's interesting to see these young guys doing it at the high school level. Absolutely, I remember seeing Sean Kemp. At Concord yeah. High School, yeah. way back when. Called him. I called his games in the Final Four high school championships. And yeah. he was yeah. so high fun to watch. The Rain Man, obviously, going to the Seattle Supersonics yeah. and the whole thing. But you know what's interesting? This is going to sound, Vince, like I'm anti-replay, and I'm really not. But when you think about the high school level, and there was a big charge call last night in the Westfield Carmel game, right? Um, I love that when you're watching high school hoops – and you see one of these big calls, like that's just the call. That's it. That's the way it's going to end. 
You don't go to the replay. You don't say, hey, let's take a second look. Hey, maybe that ball was out of bounds on the other team. Like, whatever the call is, that's the freaking call. And I think it's interesting because you almost have to reprogram yourself to be like, oh, yeah, that's right. There isn't replay in high school sports. And it is a bit refreshing. Sometimes if they screw something up massively, you're like, man, I wish there was replay. But there is some type of charm where you're like, whatever the call is on the court, that's the call. It's not changing. It's it's the great thing about high school basketball, I think. And uh, and certainly, especially this time of year in the state of Indiana with the state tournament. So catch your sectional action if you can um, here in the uh, the rest of this week. Hey, I, uh, I just saw the announcement come over that um, former Pacers um, media relations director David Benner has uh, passed away and uh, for those in Indianapolis you read David in the star a longtime writer for the star before he made the transition over to uh, the Pacers organization as the media relations director and I've known David a long long time just had lunch with him uh, not too long ago and he'd been battling cancer and was uh, dealing with a lot of health issues uh, in his final years but um, just a real loss for our community and i don't know brian if you ever had a chance to know david but man he was one of the good guys uh just loved indianapolis sports and as mentioned was a sports writer at the star back in the stars glory days and and then as a member of the media relations staff for the pacers as a guy in the media who dealt with the pacers and dealt with david just uh couldn't have been better at his profession or as a person and that's a real loss for our community yeah, well, I appreciate you mentioning that. And and I always think about, I think a couple of things here, Vince. I think of immediately the the family. I think of family and friends because a lot of times in the sports world, we think of people as just that, as just their profession, you know what I mean? So whether it's the biggest named athlete in the NFL, NBA, whatever, Kobe Bryant passing away, right? Huge, huge, iconic name. I think immediately of the family, the friends, everybody affected because he's so much more than just a basketball player. So this story, it applies also. And I also think, even though you're mentioning the C word, cancer here, you still, it's a trip to me. You still don't know for sure when it's going to come to an end for any of us you just mentioned having lunch with them yeah and then you know that was the last time you don't know when the last time is so it, it is a reminder to just make the most of each day and make the most of each uh sort of interaction you have with everybody because imagine if that's the last one you know what i mean like that that's crazy to think about it along those lines yeah herb uh, herb simon pacers owner um releasing a statement and, and saying david embodied the very best of our organization he was immensely talented experienced and humble and it is indeed um my words now a great loss for us all so um uh, david benner rest in peace my friend whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Welcome back to The Fan on a Wednesday afternoon. Along with Brian No, I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook. Producing us along the way, making sure the right buttons are pushed and uh, we're not ticking anybody off. Well, he's giving it a shot anyway. Hope you're enjoying your day. 
Tough night for uh, IU last night. Hoosiers lost to Iowa. Fourth straight. Iowa win over Indiana, by the way. Butler losing last night to sixth-ranked Marquette. Ball State lost at Akron. Everybody off tonight. Uh, Purdue back at it uh, tomorrow night at Wisconsin. Uh, I mentioned a little bit earlier, saw some high school sectional action last night. I was at uh, Carmel for the uh, Carmel-Westfield game and the Fishers-Hamilton-Southeastern uh, doubleheader. And our next guest, Kyle Nedenrip. Nedenrip from the Indianapolis Star is on with us. And I think you were at Carmel last night too, weren't you? Yeah, I was, Vince. I was the same. Uh, glad to hear you were there too. It was a good good uh, couple games last night. I, I thought the uh, Carmel and Westfield... I think they both had the same record going in, but I, I felt like it was still an upset that Carmel lost that game. How did you see it? No, I felt the same way, especially after the uh, first three quarters. Uh, it felt, and I covered the, the regular season game between those two probably about uh, five weeks ago, and uh, it was kind of going the same way. Westfield was having a hard time scoring around the basket, and you know, going into the fourth quarter, I kind of felt like uh, Carmel was in pretty good control. But uh, you know, the first minute or so of the fourth quarter, it kind of completely changed, and Alex Romack uh, had a great uh, fourth, and and. Uh, you know, and then a couple, you know, big shots by Trey Buchanan, or one big shot by him, and then two from Seth uh, Laravia, who uh, I got a kick out of talking to him after the game. Uh, his brother Jake, of course, was uh, drafted into the NBA last year, played at Lawrence Central, and and uh, you know, Seth, I asked him about that shot. I was like, man, what, did it feel good coming off your hand? He's like, no, I thought it was an air ball. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, you know, you never teenage kids, you know, it's always fun, you know, to. Uh, they never know what they're going to say, but uh, I, I laughed at that. And then I, he told me Jake had texted him right after the game. And it was, it was cool to see him have that moment and uh, hit that game winner. And then you know, for Carmel, I felt, you know, it really Sam Warren being in foul trouble, you know, was really a, a, a negative throughout that game. You know, he got two early and then, you know, played with two the rest of the first half and then got his third in the second half and then, of course, fouled out there late. But just felt like he was always in foul trouble, you know, pretty much the whole way through. And I know that kind of changed some things, too, with how that uh, – you know how that fourth quarter was played somewhat but uh but yeah really good game i thought and then in the second game fishers beat hamilton southeastern pretty handily um fishers sophomore jalen harrelson would he finish 33 last night 33 yeah. yeah 33 i think uh yeah i don't have the you know, i think seven rebounds or something like that but but yeah i mean really the first half he carried them you know he he was uh outstanding yeah at uh, one point i think he had seven like 17 of their 20 I mean, he, he was, did. yeah. And I think at halftime, he had 21 of their 24. So, uh, but, you know, that's a very young team. You know, they, they I think, uh, you know, and after the game, you know, he and Garrett Weiniger, the, the Fishers coach, said, you know, hey, most of these guys are playing their first first sectional game, you know. So, other than Jalen, who played last year, and, you know, he was a freshman last year on a team that was, was senior dominated. But, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. You know, he had such a big game scoring-wise, but, you know, he's more of a more of a passer, I would say, or and I wouldn't say more of, but equally good passer uh, as he is a scorer. And I think you saw some of that last night when uh, Tayden Metzger kind of got hot from three, and he just kept you know kept finding him. And and you know he's he's definitely not. Uh, 
uh, a, a black hole for uh, scoring necessarily. He will get the ball where it needs to go, and and just a really really all round player at his age. He's, he's not even he'll turn 16 next month, so it's hard to believe uh, you know where he can go, uh, where he's already at. You know, he's just such a smooth uh, player, and yeah, it's a tough. You know, they had a tough draw having to play their rival, their district rival, and you know just played a really good second half. So yeah, that's a team that you know I. You know they could, uh, as young as they are and, and inexperienced as they are, they're they're very good, it's a very dangerous team. I think uh, going into to Friday's game against Zionsville. Who do you have your eye on the most heading into the semifinals on Friday, Kyle? Well, I you know it's it's there's going to be a lot of you know Friday is a night where you'd like to be just about everywhere, and mm-hmm. there's still some things to be decided tonight. You know we've got uh, I'll be down at uh, Perry Meridian where. You know, Ben Davis is playing Southport, and, and Ben Davis, of course, undefeated, and they've been the team to beat, you know, pretty much from the get-go when they beat Cathedral early in the year and have just kept rolling. You know, Don Carlisle's done a, a great job kind of keeping that team, you know, at a you know it, at its peak pretty much throughout the season. But, you know, Southport's a team I think that can, you know, match up somewhat with them, and, and they took them to overtime very early in the season and lost by 11 in the in the county uh, semifinals. So, you know, there's no way I'd pick against Ben Davis, but I think this is a Southport team on a, on a given night. You know, and tonight could be, you know, it could, honestly, I have no idea what to expect. It could be close. It could be uh, a blowout. Uh, you know, you just don't know. But I think Southport's got the – the ability to make that a an interesting game but you know so i think we'll find out more you know and then tonight of course in sectional 10 as well over at uh at uh, warren central you had a buzzer beater last night with warren winning but you know tonight you've got lawrence north and north central the two old rivals going at it that should be a very good game as a one-point game uh in the regular season and then addicts and tech uh, playing tonight you would think addicts you know they won the city and you know i would think they would win that game and uh that Either way, that would set up a really good semifinal. You already have Warren against Cathedral on one side of the bracket there. So that's definitely a game, you know, I think when you look at Warren and Cathedral, that I covered that game in December, and Warren probably should have won that game. They let it get away in the last minute. They were up by five and, and kind of got away from them. Cathedral ended up coming back and winning that game. And, uh, you know, but I think that's a – it should be a similar type of game, I would think, uh, Friday. And Warren playing at home, I would think that would help them as well. But – but yeah, you got still some some things to shake out tonight, and then we'll know for sure. I get definitely got my eye on the uh, Muncie Central uh, situation too up there in uh, Sectional Nine, where you have New Pal and Pendleton Heights was a kind of a surprise winner over Richmond. And you know tonight we'll find out uh, the other two teams to advance out of there. You, you could have Greenfield Central. You know they're playing Anderson. That's going to be an excellent game tonight, and then. Uh, Mount Vernon and Muncie Central should be two a pretty good doubleheader up there. Let's circle back to Ben Davis for a moment, undefeated, and uh, I think most people would consider to be the favorite to win the championship. Even you know, despite the you know the undefeated record, you're not just shooing them in, but still from a talent perspective, what is it going to take to beat Ben Davis? You have to have a big. You have, to, and this is why I kind of think Southport is is somewhat of a good matchup for them if you don't have a big uh, you know and I'm talking you know six eight six nine to go against uh, Zane Doughty uh, in the middle there then you probably don't have much of a chance because he he's going to dominate the rebounds uh, he, he'll clean up everything in there you know I would you know I'm not denigrating you know Lawrence North has a really good team they don't match up very well uh, with uh, with a team like Ben Davis because they just don't have that size in the middle Southport does, you know, Nickens Lumba, uh, he, he 
can somewhat uh, negate Dowdy somewhat. Um, you know, he didn't as much in the second time they played him, but he he's at least a big body to go in there against him. And then the guard play uh, Southport has with A.J. Dantzler and uh, Keon Miller, uh, both those guys can shoot. Both those guys can handle the ball. Uh, so that, that pressure defense of Ben Davis, you know, they can turn people over uh, quickly and very good defensive team. Uh, they can get after your full court or half court. Uh, so you have to be able to handle the ball and you have to be able to make uh, some outside shots. And then, you know, they also have a, a pretty uh, athletic, physical wing player in uh, Pinkston. So you've got that, you know, as well. So, you know, Southport's not, they're not deep uh, necessarily, but they do, their starting lineup is, it does match up uh, relatively well with Ben Davis. But you know, I, I would say it kind of starts with having a, a big who can, who can match up inside and then, you know, you're going to have to make some outside shots. You're going to have to handle the ball. That sounds like everything you have to do in basketball. Uh, but they just they don't have any weaknesses. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh, now in a in a 32 minute high school game. You know, they could have an off night or whatever. But I'm not saying they can't be beat by any means. But but uh, they don't have any weaknesses. You know, and that and that's uh, that's why they're 26 and 0. So you know, it's 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 hard to beat them. You know, but I think there are some teams out there that you know, can give them a, a pretty good run and, and potentially, you know, who knows what could happen in the fourth quarter of a, of a game. That's I've had a lot of people ask me all year or tell me, you know, no one's beaten them. It's like, well, I've seen crazier things happen, you know, and I, I know uh, Don has been telling his team that all year and very confident in his team, but also you just, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to go undefeated. That's why hardly anybody ever does it. You know, Kyle, uh, I'm just thinking about college basketball and how I'm tearing my hair out. If there's a team that's up by three in the final seconds and they don't foul, we saw a couple of those instances recently. Wisconsin didn't foul Michigan. Uh, Michigan state did not foul Iowa. I'm just curious on the high school level, what tends to be the strategy if a team is on the defensive end and up by three in the final seconds? Do they tend to foul or do they just play it out? That's a great question. Actually, this came up last night. I was actually going to write a little something uh, for the my Friday column, you know, about a little bit about that because West, Westfield was in that situation last night uh, against Carmel, and I think Carmel had called timeout. Oh gosh, eight, it's maybe nine seconds left, down by three, and uh, you know. Westfield had the opportunity. Uh, they did use one foul, and then you know that was their that was their gimme foul that, to get him to get Carmel to the bonus. Uh, Carmel ended up getting a shot, um, and, and I talked to Shane Sumter, the uh, Westfield coach, after the game, and he said, you know, we thought about fouling, but we just it was something that. You know, they felt like they didn't, hadn't practiced enough. He said he kind of left it up to his guys if it gets to a certain point, um, you know, to take to take the foul if it got down close enough and they weren't in position to also get the shot off, you know, and then get three shots because that's the nightmare situation, right? So, uh, you know, but they ended up not fouling. The, the, they, they guarded the shot pretty well from the corner, I thought, and then, you know, they were able to live with that. But I have, I've, I've seen it go both ways. I, I would say more often than not, teams don't foul and I think it's out of that fear of like man we're gonna either do it too early or you know end up giving up a foul on the shot and uh you know it's just it's kind of a roll of the dice you know I don't and like Shane said that you know you're practicing so many things you don't necessarily practice that situation probably often enough to feel comfortable doing it uh so yeah I mean I've seen it I have seen it happen for sure but not it seems like more often than not teams kind of play it out to the end and that's what we saw last night in that Carmel Westfield game. 
chatting with Kyle Nenrip, who uh, covers uh, high school sports for the Indianapolis Star. And certainly, uh, if you love the high school athletic scene, you uh, want to read Kyle's work. That's for sure. The voice of uh, what's happening in our in our state from a high school perspective. I was at the game last night with my friend Dave Argabright, and we were talking about uh, the shot clock. Does high school basketball need a shot clock, Kyle? Uh, it depends who you talk to. I, I I would say, and I actually, you know, we did a little something on uh, anonymously asking coaches what they thought, and I, it was almost a split. I right down the middle, fifty uh, fifty with with both sides, uh, and then you had some that were, you know, kind of, uh, you know, situational. They would like it, or you know, they're kind of split on it too. But it was almost directly fifty fifty. Um, I, I would lean, you know, I I, I wouldn't mind seeing it for. Uh, you know, fourth quarter situations, you know, teams up by, and now you can't just implement it for that only, but I'm just saying I would like to see it for that reason, you know, teams up by eight or 10 uh, that kind of put it in the deep freeze. And, and, you know, in that situation, it would kind of nice to be to have a shot clock, uh, you know, even a 45 second clock. Um, but I just, you know, part of me too, I just, I don't cover that many games where a shot clock's necessary. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I really don't, um, maybe some other areas of the state do. Um, but I, I just, there's not very many games I cover where it's like, man, a shot clock would really change. I, I can't say that that happens. I do see, you know, I cover, man, I, you know, probably 70 to 75 games a year. And, uh, you know, I hear people say, you know, anytime a, a low score crosses and, and you're like, gosh, we need a shot clock. And I'm not talking four to two necessarily, but like, you know, 40 something to 40 something or, you know, a game that's low scoring. And even then, you know, when I cover those type of games, it's not necessarily a shot clock. It's just, you know, either a really good defensive team or maybe a team that's a little bit more methodical um, that, that, uh, they may only take a shot every 30, 35 seconds, but that's a longer time frame than I think people realize, especially in a 32-minute game. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you necessarily know that just by looking at a score, how the game is dictated, but I wouldn't mind, you know, I, I'm kind of one of those who's kind of, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I, I don't know that it's necessary, though. I just, I really don't see it happen that often uh, where a team just puts it in the deep freeze. And if they do, you know, to me, it's like, you know, the one thing I do like about a shot clock is it rewards good defense. You know, if you're guarding for 35, 45 seconds, you, you get you should be rewarded, in my opinion. But you know, you also you know if you're allowing a team just to stand there and hold the ball, you know, you, you should go do something about it. Normally, it's a team holding it that's probably the lesser team. So uh, you would think you'd be able to get out and pressure them and kind of force them out of that situation. And I do see that time to time where, you know, you'll see a team try to hold it and, and can't, you know, and that's usually what ends up happening. One last thing before from me before we let you go, Kyle. If I've got one game to see and I've got to see one player uh, around the state of Indiana, he's the one guy I've got to see. If I've only got one game, who am I going to see? Marcus Burton, I would say, uh, from Penn and, and, uh, he is probably the front runner for Mr. Basketball. And I, you know, if not the front runner, certainly one of them, but he is, uh, you know, just, he's had a great season, uh, a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I know people around here maybe have not seen him that much in person, if at all, but, uh, and I'm not saying he's, he's like this player I'm about to mention, but his, his attributes are somewhat similar, I think, to like an Allen Iverson in, in the fact that he can, make moves in small spaces and, you know, was quick off the ground. And again, I'm not saying he is him, but he's kind of, when I watch him play, he sort of reminds me of that sort of uh, type of game. Uh, But, but he just, he's, he's a very good player. He's super efficient. 
too. And uh, they haven't played, you know, they played in the Hall of Fame Classic and lost to Ben Davis. And then, you know, they've had uh, some, you know, they beat Zionsville in a really good game at Southport uh, that they came back and he went off in that game. Uh, had a really, really good game. And I think opened a lot of people's eyes there. But but he'll be one, I think, uh, as they get through the tournament, uh, that will be, you know, fun to watch, you know, for people, and especially those who haven't seen him play yet. Uh, and they, they should be able to get out of that sectional. They play uh, in Elkhart uh, Friday night against the Goshen. And, you know, they should be able to get through that one and then probably win the sectional. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely one, especially for people who are around here who haven't seen uh, Penn play or seen him play yet. Mm, good stuff. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate your insight. As always, well done. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yep. That's Kyle Nedenrip. You read his work in the Indianapolis Star covering the high school game and uh, certainly uh he gets around the state what do you say like 75 80 games a year he sees that's a lot of that's a lot of ball i'm just thinking of the cameron crazies how they're intense before games i picture kyle intense before high school games you know what i'm saying like he's and i mean that as a compliment he is invested that's awesome well it is his uh it's his beat and you know as anybody who is around and you certainly uh, brian our understanding of this when it's your beat man you're not just covering it you're living it yeah And, um, you know, whether you're talking about the best beat reporters out there that are covering their particular team or their particular sport, uh, when you're a beat reporter, it's one of the things I respect most about them is that you never have time off from your beat. Mm -hmm. Even in the offseason, you got to be keeping an eye on your beat. And uh, those guys, man, they are they are living it. It is really cool for him to see over the years some of these guys that go on to do bigger and better things yeah. and you got to see him at really the grassroots level that's yeah. awesome yeah and it was interesting you know last night when uh, trace jackson davis uh, set the rebounding record the all-time indiana university rebounding record he passed alan henderson and it reminded me of um henderson was a phenomenal high school basketball player he played at burbuff here in town and uh, called the state championship game Allen Henderson against Gary Rose, Allen Henderson and Burbuff against Gary Roosevelt, which had Glenn Robinson. Mm-hmm. And to see those two big guys, and you know, when I asked uh, Kyle about who's going to beat Ben Davis uh, or, you know, how do you beat Ben Davis? You got to have a big guy, he said, to counter their big. And it reminded me again, kind of took me back to seeing Allen Henderson and Glenn Robinson match up against one another. And it's not that often that, that you see the two best players. Yeah whether it's at the high school level or even the college level where the two best players on the respective teams are facing one and are facing off against one another. Yeah. And those are the kind of matchups that you, you know, you can really get invested in. And, you know, the, kind of the Purdue game, you got Zach Eady and you got Trace Jackson Davis, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you where you got the two bigs. And even though they weren't guarding one another all the time, a lot of the time spent was against one another mm-hmm. and uh, reminded me of that of uh, kind of the Alan Henderson Glenn Robinson throwback from uh, their high school state championship game played at the dome by the way back in the day so uh, not a lot of high school a lot of people from that aren't from around here can't believe that you know we used to play the high school state championship oh, games yeah. at the dome oh yeah yeah I remember seeing some of those games on TV yeah. Damon Bailey's <laughs> senior year of high school uh, Bedford North Lawrence and they they was the first year they moved it to the dome 40,000 plus on hand yeah. for a high school game and it was the most incredible atmosphere you can imagine so interesting stuff and uh, good from Kyle I, I enjoyed uh, the chat with him and uh, I was checking out the high school hoops last night uh, shot clock in high school though 
you know, 35 seconds, 45 seconds. I kind of got the Let's feel. Let's get it. Let's I, get it. Yeah, I, I think Come on. Yeah, I could, I could get on, <laughs> Let's get I could on, get with on board yeah. with it. I could get on board with it. Hey, one of the big things going on in our city is the NFL Combine uh, right now. Of course, uh, uh, the Colts are so focused on the quarterback position. Obviously, all the positions are important, but we all know what the uh, the Colts have their eye on. The quarterbacks will throw on Saturday at the Combine. Um, Bryce Young from Alabama will not throw, but we are anticipating the other big names that will come in and throw. We'll keep our eye on that and some of the other news going on from the Draft Combine. We'll touch on that when we come back. 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday. Brian No, I'm Vince Welch, Jimmy Cook, our producer. And uh, coming up, we'll uh, talk with... Jess settles at the bottom of the hour, who is, uh, of course, Big Ten Network, and we'll dive into that Iowa-Indiana game a little bit more, and we've touched on that throughout the course of the day. What a heartbreaker that was for Indiana, crushed early. But um, we wanted to touch also uh, real quickly on uh, the combine and stuff that's going on there. If you've uh, not been paying attention or haven't heard, Jalen Carter, who some believe if the Bears would hold on to that number one pick, would be the top selection in the draft, but a warrant was issued for his arrest. Uh, the Georgia tragedy back on uh, January 15th, if memory serves me correctly, where the uh, football player and the staffer were killed in a car accident. Jalen uh, Carter allegedly part of a, a little drag racing uh, competition that was going on at the time. Carter driving the other car, not the car that crashed, but the cra- car that crashed and, and killed the staffer and the player. Uh, and uh, and a, an arrest warrant has been issued for Jalen Carter, who was here in Indianapolis for the combine. So uh, I believe it was um, reckless driving and drag racing the charges. Jimmy, do you have that uh, officially uh, what the charges were against uh, Jalen Carter? Sorry to catch you Sorry, off guard no, with uh, that. Listed as, and this is from uh, CNN, alcohol impairment was, was what was listed as the cause of the, they don't have the official charges on what's there for um, Carter, but they referenced Chandler LaCroix and, and Devin Willock, who were in the other um, car that had crashed and obviously fatally wound up killing those two. But uh, the speculation there is of what caused the crash Alcohol impairment, racing, reckless driving, and speed were significant contributors to the crash in terms of his official charges. I do not have that in front of me right now. But that's what, again, was the report from the police that were there on scene uh, back on the 15th of January. Looks like a charge for misdemeanors. Yeah, they were misdemeanors. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, accused of racing before the crash that killed a Georgia teammate. Yeah. And he was in the other car. He was car. in the other car, yeah. Make note of that. Yeah, yeah but, but that's, man, that's wild. And it's kind of crazy that it's taken over a month before that has come out. Right. Um, but um, certainly, first and foremost, two lives were lost. Um, secondarily to that is you've got a guy who could be the number one pick in the NFL draft, and this is certainly uh, big news in that regard, especially as they all gather here in Indianapolis 
for the combine. Uh, the Bears with the number one pick in the draft, uh, Carter and uh, really Will Anderson, uh, the Will Anderson Jr. from Alabama, the edge rusher, I think are the two non-quarterback guys that are most often mentioned as the top pick should the Bears hold on to that selection or if one of the teams would happen to move up that don't need a quarterback. But uh, m- most anticipation is that the Texans or the Colts, uh, Raiders, Panthers, got teams that need quarterbacks are going to try to move up into that number one spot. Well, and you laid it out very well where first and foremost two lives were lost and if this is a fast and furious style like drag racing on the road not a good idea not a great idea but that is the primary story on a completely secondary level which is the sports aspect of this you have to wonder if there's a ripple effect that reaches the colts because think about this the bears have the number one overall pick if they kept that pick they might go with the guy Named Jalen Carter. Mm-hmm. And now you have to vet the situation out, see what's what. Could that have any sort of ripple effect with the Colts who might want to trade up to that number one overall pick? So we'll see how it shakes out with Jalen Carter, but certainly tragic news. And by the way, I have to go back and check, but I believe January 15th, that's the same day of the Brandon Miller Alabama situation mm. because you said January 15th yeah I like, was Whoa. and that was off the top of my head that may not have been the correct date I'm not 100% sure of that but was it you're nodding your head was that the day Jimmy okay it was um, yeah so uh, crazy story for sure and um, uh, we'll touch on more about the combine and the NFL draft do the Colts move up and if they do Ryan, which quarterback will they select? We'll get that thought when we return at 93.5107.5 The Fan. Brian No and Vince Welch with you here on The Fan. You know, I feel, I, I just look at your face, Vince, and you look like a guy who can't get enough combine talk. Am I right? Am I right? You have it written all but like more oh, combine. I just right couldn't hide it, could I? I yeah. was trying to hide it, I but s- I just I couldn't. I see it blinking in neon on your forehead over there. Uh, you mentioned the quarterbacks involved here. And yeah, the throwing. Let's talk about that. So the quarterbacks that will be throwing, C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. We get Will Levis from Kentucky. Anthony Richardson from Florida. No Bryce Young. Mm. No Bryce Young, the Alabama stud quarterback who is small. Uh, Jimmy, you know, we have too, to Is he it. too small? Too small. Too uh, small to he, trade up for. Not I, doing it. I agree. Not doing it. He wouldn't be the guy I'd go get. Who would be the guy? Uh, I'd go get C.J. Stroud. you go Stroud. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things about Stroud I like, and and some of the, you know, they've all got flaws, so to speak. Um, and we could go down that road as to whether or not I think you really should go get them. But I think the Colts are kind of backed into a corner here where they got to do something in the quarterback situation, obviously. But one of the things about C.J. Stroud that I like is that, man, he came from his upbringing was hard. Mm. I mean, this kid has had a tough life. and um, And I like people that, they handle hard, you know, and they make something of themselves despite, you know, it's easy to say, oh, my, you know, I was so underprivileged and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he used that as motivation to become successful. And he just, instead of, instead of putting his tail between his legs and being a victim of the circumstances, he stood up and said, I'm going to work hard and get better and improve my situation. And he did it. And I love those kind of stories and those kind of personalities. On top of that, he's a heck of a football player. Um, 
and the Colts' history with Ohio State players not all that great. But I, I think if I had to go get one of the guys, uh, I think he's the most known commodity of the group. Yeah, listen, I think this. I think that finding a quarterback is a little bit – I'll make a baseball comparison on you here. It's a lot like trying to get a hit in baseball. You know, if you're a batter and you're trying to get a hit, there are certain pitches you shouldn't swing at because you're not going to get a hit. That's how I look at the draft. And Bryce Young was fantastic in college. He's a playmaker. I love, I'll get all the the positive stuff. Make sure you're listening to this, Jimmy, because I'll circle back to the smallish frame and all of that. But I absolutely love, Vince, that he played the bowl game. At yes. the end right there. There are a lot yep. of kids that skip the bowl games. And I get it. I get it. I'm not going to look down on them. They have a, a bunch of money to be made. They don't want to take a risk and not play in the Poland Weed Eater Bowl or whatever the equivalent is these days. You know what I mean? I get that. But I give Bryce Young like an added thumbs up of like, that speaks to your character. It shows that you finish what you started. It shows that you want to be a team guy. When you go there and play for Alabama in a non-New Year Six bowl game, like that's that's really cool. It might have been a New Year Six. I can't remember, but it wasn't in the playoff. And a lot of guys where they stand to be the number one overall pick, they would have skipped in that situation. Mm-hmm. I give Bryce Young and Will Anderson Jr. a ton of credit for going out there and being team-oriented guys. I think that says a lot. But you can't change 5'10 and 190 or whatever he ends up weighing in on. I just don't think that you trade up to get that guy with that frame. You have to make tough decisions when you're evaluating these guys. And I think that it could be a very similar situation to what the Dolphins have with Tua Tungavailoa. Mm. And there's questions. Do they extend him? Do yeah. they do they pick up the fifth year option? Like if you have found your guy, that's not even a question. Yeah. And that's where the Dolphins are right now. Well, and maybe the uh, concussion history with sure. Tua is factoring into that as well, as you would expect. You know, I saw something interesting on NFL Network uh, recently talking about trading up, uh, you know, trading up into the top five or trading up from the top five into a higher slot yeah. uh, for a quarterback. Since 2011, six teams have traded into the top five or higher or gone from the fifth spot higher up into the okay, draft. Okay, I can name one. Since 2011. Since 2011, okay. how yeah. many in the top five and moved up a little Six more? Six teams have, have I know yeah. one off the top of yeah. my head, which is obviously the Bears getting Mitchell Trubisky. Yes, in 2017, the Bears moved up into the second spot yeah. to select Trubisky. The Jets were just outside the top five when they moved from six to three with the Colts to get Darnold, so that's not on the list. Yeah, yeah, they moved up into the top three, so that yeah. would be in higher in. Yeah, so that's in there. 2012, going back, uh, Robert Griffith uh, Jr. or Robert Griffith yeah, III. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting to say Robert Griffith Jr. Robert Griffin the third. So do you uh, have Washington went up to second? Yeah. to get him. Well, we also have. Is this teams like anywhere in the first round getting to the top five? Moving up into the top. Okay, five well then or you have hires. you have Goff. Goff in Goff, sixteen, and they went yeah. from fifteen to one to first. Yeah, you know, took the first pick. And Rams. you had Carson Wentz the same year where uh, they went for the Eagles went from eight to two and Trey Lance. Yeah. Uh, from in 12 21. to three. So, so my point is, so let's just take those Robert Griffith, uh, Robert Griffin, the third Jared Goff, Mitch Trubisky, Sam Darnold, Trey Lance teams spent a lot. Totally. To get up into the top five or higher to pick them yep. move up into those positions. 
how'd that work out for those teams? Wow. Griffin so the third Goff, Goff. They extended yeah. him and then they got rid of him right away. Darnold Lance. So my point being yeah. Just because you move up to get yeah, hey. doesn't mean you're moving up to get what you ultimately wanted. Well, I think, and there's a difference too, because I think of a guy like Patrick Mahomes, where the Chiefs moved up from 27 to 10. Mm. Now think about this, Vince. Getting up to the 10th overall pick, that's a lot different in terms of the scrutiny that you're facing compared to a team moving up to get the number one overall pick or a top five pick. The cost is different. The cost is a lot different as well. But I think that puts a lot more pressure. There's a lot more scrutiny. Think about Carson Wentz. He's the perfect example. Carson Wentz could scratch his nostril and you'd be like, ah, Mahomes did it better. You know what I mean? Like anything he does is not good enough because of the price tag to get him being a number two overall pick, everything. That's the way he's constantly evaluated. So you have to consider that. It's that you bring up a great point. It's not just Bryce Young and how you feel about him as a player. How do you feel about him as the number one overall pick? And if the Colts trade up, and there's a huge price tag and how much more that puts on his shoulders. Do you still love him then? I don't. And I'm not sure that any of those guys I see, I don't I don't think there's a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck in this draft. Right. So the problem that then creates is that the Colts are backed into the corner. They've got to go get a quarterback. Yeah. Okay. So they've got to get into this you know, into this situation where they're gonna take one of these guys. And in other years, would you be taking this player at that high of level because he's not the right. Manning or the Luck or the potential savior? I mean, they've all got flaws. Yeah. So, um, and then the cost, which then, you know, if you give up a first and you give up a second, and those are players, really good players, next year or whatever year it was in the, in the, is in the draft, you don't get. Yeah. So, they're, the cost is not to be overlooked and also with the situation of you go get one of those guys you're investing in that guy for a long time yeah and if he's not the guy but what do you do when you it. have to have a quarter i mean the colts to. are in such a difficult position they with are with what the players are i think that's available well i think two things I'll talk about honesty, and then I'll talk about gambling with you here, Vince. So the first thing about honesty, the question in my mind is, can the Colts be honest with themselves? That's a a big question in this draft, because if they're being completely honest, maybe they evaluate these quarterbacks and say, hey, they're good. They might pan out. Someone might be a franchise quarterback. But we don't feel anyone special enough as a prospect to move up from four to one knowing it's going to cost a boatload. That might be their honest assessment. Based on chasing all these veteran quarterbacks who haven't panned out, can they be honest with themselves if that's their conclusion? Or are they just going to say, we got to have a QB, man. We're going all in. Hopefully it works out. I don't know. <laughs> well, and then the other thing is is one of the quarter, you know, the Texans within their division yeah. are sitting at number two. I know it. And they need a quarterback. Yeah. So you also have you also have that battle of I mean in the AFC you look at the AFC you know quarterbacks top quarterbacks in the AFC with Mahomes and and Burrow and Josh Allen and and uh, even uh, uh, Lawrence at, uh, yeah, at Jacksonville yeah. 
I, I mean, you got to have a quarterback, man. Yeah. I mean, especially in in the in the AFC, but really, I mean, regardless of what conference you're in, if you're going to really be a Super Bowl team, you got to you got to have a quarterback. So the Texans, they're also dealing with that. So if you if you don't move up, I know it, and the Texans take the guy yeah. really that you kind of wanted, then you got to look at that yeah. <laughs> every you know twice a week or twice a year, every year. And for that's a while. you know what that's the interesting part to me. If the Texans ended up with Bryce Young as a Colts fan, I'm like, cool. Yeah. Good for you. And Bryce I, may I, turn out to be a phenomenal <laughs> player. I don't think he will. But I I I would shy he I like the size. I, I would go with the, the size and I think he's just too small. He's too small. He's got a smallish and, frame. And man. there's a big difference between a you can be a great college player right. and not necessarily be a great NFL player you got to be able to take hits in the nfl that's just the bottom line whether you're a guy like say lamar jackson or josh allen who run the ball they take extra risks with the hits they take you know tucking it and running or but look at tua he's not a lamar jackson josh allen risk-taking running quarterback he's a guy that moves around a little bit but he's more of a pocket guy and he didn't last we're in, what, like year three? He's not lasting. And and that's the thing, man. When you're missing six games in, in the playoff game, if Tua's healthy and upright, the Dolphins with a seventh-round rookie almost beat the Bills. Yeah. If Tua is healthy in that game, they might win it. They well, might not even be a seven seed at that stage. And hindsight's always twenty twenty. I mean, you can go back and look through the years of quarterbacks that were had incredibly successful careers that weren't picked uh, at the top yeah you know i mean obviously brady is the example everybody points to but you'd never know yeah. i mean if you go up and get that guy at number one i mean there's been plenty taken in the top five we just ran down you know a few of them who didn't pan out or haven't been worthy of where they were selected there's always that chance and it, it's not just the quarterback i mean you know, it yeah. could be other positions where guys just don't pan out as well but none none are as high profile as the quarterback situation and then especially with the need that the Colts have at the quarterback situation is critical I see Jimmy inching closer to the mic and I see venom in his eyes no no what I see there's no venom this time because you and I have had the Bryce Young debate I'm not getting into that today but you kind of spelled out the gambit there Vince and that's the larger issue anybody can trade up But it takes competency in your scout team, in your evaluators as a general manager to actually pick the right guy. You mentioned a number of instances over the last five, six, seven seasons where people have made either gigantic jumps or maybe four or five pick jumps, but large capital given up risking the future for the guy they think is the right guy. And there's a lot of misses. Yeah. See, and I think that's that's an overlooked element, and maybe not overlooked when you're the GM and and you know team president or owner. But from the outside, a lot of times the overlooked element is what it cost you to go get the guy who then didn't pan out. Mm-hmm. And those in in a league where the draft choice, the big time first round pick, is so important, and if you have to give up. Uh, a solid first round pick you're missing out on a really good player so your guy that you traded up for you better hit yeah you just got to hit that's the thing though is and then it's it's not even dealing with the injuries like Tua yeah I mean nobody could have predicted that he'd bang his head on the turf but it's both sides of the coin it's what you said is correct it's like you got to hit 
on the quarterback because you're costing yourself a potential franchise player at another position. But but the other part of this is, I know it, it almost sounds like I'm super conservative. Like, don't don't take a risk. Come back to bite you. Like, I, I'm not saying that. I'm a risk taker. I'm all for taking risks. You got to swing. Again, going back to the batting analogy. If you're a hitter, you got to swing the bat to get a hit. Yeah. Like, you got to do it. So you got to take some risks at times and draft a guy and hope it pans out. I'm just not swinging at every pitch. I'm not going to swing at a pitch at my eyes. I'm not going to swing at a pitch like I'm Vlad Guerrero that skips in the dirt. He was great at hitting those pitches, by the way. But I'm not doing that. Your chances of getting a hit aren't great. And I think the other side of the coin is when you're thinking about it from an aggressive standpoint, if you don't swing and another team does and they hit, that's a double whammy. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Especially if that team is a team in your division yeah think about these teams that could have done what the Chiefs did and draft Patrick Mahomes but didn't and weren't bold enough and didn't draft him when he was still on the board or trade up to get him they're kicking themselves right now so that can happen I'm just not doing that for every quarterback prospect I'm not trading what you would need to to move up and get Bryce Young you know, I, I like one of the things that, uh, and this was at the end of the season press conference that, that Chris Ballard had, and, and Ballard's going to talk to the media uh, later today, 3 o'clock, I think, from the Combine, and then beyond with JMV this afternoon, uh, I believe, as well. But w- he made a comment in the postseason press conference that, that I liked, and he said, I'm not afraid of the struggle, the hardness of what we do. I'm not afraid of it. In fact, kind of get off on it so what i what i liked about that is you know he's not you know he's not afraid Mm -hmm. and he and he understands it's a hard gig and there's going to be some hits and there's going to be some misses and there's going to be judgment and all of that and ultimately you know the wins and losses are going to determine whether he's around or whether he's not Mm -hmm. but he's not worried about that you know he's not he's not intimidated by the difficult decision you know and i and i like the fact that i get from him he's a guy who will investigate he'll do his homework and he'll make the right in his mind the right decision based on what he has learned and not look back from it and you know it's like he said he said we thought Wentz was a five or six year run it didn't work yeah that's the nfl right i mean that's what it is that's what a gm does and uh you know you limit the misses i think is more important than hitting the home runs i just think that i think what's interesting is that a lot of times we fall into this trap of thinking hey organization fill in the blank did their due diligence they've scouted this guy they they what they know that he's gonna pan out everybody thinks their quarterback is gonna pan out you know it's a guessing game I know you're taking educated guesses but I think a lot of times we're like oh you didn't do your due diligence you drafted this guy that didn't pan out oh man this team did its homework they drafted this guy that did pan out Go they're back, all draft. doing their homework. Yes, they're all doing their homework, but it's a crapshoot, yeah. man. It really is. You go back to some of these drafts. Think about the Josh Allen draft where you've got, what, Baker Mayfield goes first, Darnold goes third. Uh, you got Allen that goes seventh. Josh Rosen, 
who's a top 10 guy, and then Lamar Jackson. And you go back, just look on the on the web at some of the columns written at that stage. And a lot of people didn't like Josh Allen because he was up and down at Wyoming. And Lamar Jackson, those are by far the best quarterbacks in that draft. But the point is, it's a complete crapshoot. All I'm saying is, when we hear these teams like, if you do your homework and you like the guy, take the guy. As if what? As if you're never wrong? You know what I'm saying? Like right. it, it drives me crazy when we talk about them like they're all knowing. It's like it's a crapshoot, man. And and you can hit on the guy like Andrew Luck. Sure. And then decides I've had enough. I know. Yeah. It's, and so, yeah. you know, there's so many different elements that that go in and so many layers to a Hall of Fame career. Right. You know, whether you're the player, the coach, the, you know, uh, you know, the the Colts run Reich out, Carolina can't wait to get him. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's the same. It's The beauty is in the eye of the beholder. What do you need? What are you going to do for me? Where, you know, everybody looks at everybody differently and how they how they do things. And man, I'll tell you what, that job of drafting the oh, top that's a job you can keep uh, yeah. I, i'll tell you what <laughs> it's, it's easy, easy to, it's easy to sit here and say i'd take so and so or well, i wouldn't that, take it you know that's the thing is they're not playing tennis no. this isn't an individual sport yeah. it's how they fit in with everybody else around them and not every every supporting cast is the same so you have to figure out how is this guy going to mesh in the short term with what we've got around him look at justin fields with the bears he doesn't have a whole lot around him you know, like, hey, you can have the best quarterback in the world, but if you don't have a line, if he doesn't have time to yeah. throw it or guys that catch it, um, you know, so those offensive linemen are pretty important and those receivers are pretty, you know, as Kevin Harvick said, he, even the uh, fastest, the best jockey in the world doesn't win on a slow horse. <laughs> so Same thing with know, a car. It, yeah. it is. Yeah. Uh, you got to have them all. Right. You can't right. just have the one. The one thing I'll say to Vince, Brian knowing Vince Welch with you here on the fan. We'll get to Jess Settles here coming up momentarily, talking some uh, Indiana, Iowa, and beyond. The gambling thing I was going to tell you about. So, I was telling you and I was telling Jimmy that I think there's a key question you have to ask yourself if you're gambling on sports. If you lose one of your bets, is the next bet you make are you being honest with yourself like would I make this bet if my previous one was a win okay if your previous bet was a win would you be making this next bet so you're saying so you're asking the question yeah. is should my bet be influenced by the result of my previous bet it's a good way to check yourself yeah. if you're chasing your money okay because if you lose you're like I want to win it back I want to win it back all right what's next on the schedule okay uh cool uh, we got New Mexico against yeah. <laughs> like uh Fresno State last night like die give me New Mexico like would you feel that way if your previous bet instead of it being a loss it was a win right it's a good way to say now I wouldn't be betting this game I'm chasing my money I shouldn't make this bet if you apply that to the Colts if one of the previous veterans had worked out, if you had some success, let's say Philip Rivers, good example. Let's say Philip Rivers came back for year two, played great both years, and then retired. And now the Colts are looking for the next quarterback. Would they be all about a rookie? Would they be like, oh, man, we can't go with a veteran now? You know what I mean? Their, their previous losses can influence 
what they're doing here and now where they're thinking, got to be a rookie, and you're just talking yourself into, hey, man, I, I think New Mexico is going to blow them out here. And it's just like you're hoping that will happen. You don't necessarily believe that will happen. So they struck out with Wentz. They struck out with Ryan. Um, and, you know, argue it all you want as to, you know, fault of their own or not. Okay, but the bottom line is neither one of them panned out. So does that then make you in your situation as GM, you have to go get the young guy then because you're scared to, hey, the, the last two times I went with the veteran, it didn't. we went with the veteran, it didn't work out. That's certainly what the fan base is thinking. That might greatly influence you as a GM as well. See, I, dis, I would, as a GM, I'd be looking at the veteran option. If I don't see one of those four guys as right. my franchise guy, right? And I know, but even though my two veteran rolls of the dice before that didn't work out Mm -hmm. and frank reich had a lot to do with both of those guys obviously and ballard's got you know input obviously but i still think that i would look at that and go you know what if if i honestly don't believe one of those rookies is the savior yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna look at my options as the veteran coming in and being you know maybe it's two years maybe it's three years whatever it is to like get the guy that I am willing to go, I believe in enough to go trade for. I'm totally with you. You have to have stones to do what you think is right that happens to be immensely unpopular. And I think that's what Ballard was saying when he (laughs) said, I'm not afraid of the struggle. Hardness is the hardness of it is what we do. I think that's what he's saying. But <laughs> yeah, but but maybe you don't love the vets either. Yeah, that's out and, there if you're like we're not going to get Aaron Rodgers. Lamar's not going anywhere. What is it, Derek Carr? Like, and, you know, and that market isn't yeah, you know, just bubbling either. No, no. I think they're just going to take a risk. All right, we got a lot more to get to. Jess Settles from Big Ten Network talking about Indiana and the no-show effort. How about the giggling on the bench? There was a lot made yeah, out of that. Yeah, what did you, know? you think of that? We'll get to it, you know. Didn't I, like it. I, 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 see, I did not like I it. I do see both sides of that, but Man. we'll we'll see what what uh, Jess has to say about that. I'm Brian. No, he's Vince Welch. It's 93.5 and 107.5. The fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch here on The Fan. Man, Jimmy, if you could just see him during the breaks while we're just like, yeah, don't trade up for Bryce Young. Don't, don't. Jimmy is like looking at his watch like, gosh, 231. All right. We've got 29 more minutes of these knuckleheads. <laughs> Maybe if I leave, they won't notice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to welcome in Jess Settles from Big Ten Network joining us here on The Fan. You know, Jess, it's funny, man. I always am interested to see what pops up first if you Google someone. And I had to share this with you. I wanted to see what you thought of it. So on the right side, if you Google Jess Settles, it just said, I'm going to read a little bit to you. Jess Settles was a star for Winfield Mount Union in tiny Winfield, Iowa. I'm not sure how you feel about that. And then also a true corn-fed product. So what do you think about tiny Winfield, Iowa, and a true corn-fed product? That just, that just sums me up perfectly, fellas. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I like that you sign off on that. That's great, man. Now, I know you signed off on Iowa's 
great performance last night. Not much to sign off on when it comes to the Hoosiers. What did you make of IU just laying an egg last night? Look, man, I, I, I'm assuming the entire state is melting down right now after you know, just a dreadful performance, right? I mean, they owned it after the game. I, I went back late last night and watched the first two and a half to three minutes and just defensively right from the opening tip, I mean, you, you don't want to be too harsh, but just clueless on how to defend Iowa and to allow Murray to just stand out there and get off to such a hot start, it, it did not improve for the rest of the game. Could not handle the ball screens, the spacing, the backdoor cuts. Really, it felt like, and, and you know, you feel this sometimes when a team gets off to a big, big lead, you feel like the other team might come back. But it felt like in that game early that Iowa was going to win in a blowout, and they ended up doing that. I think they were 1.621 points per possession, at halftime and ended up around one and a half. That just doesn't get it done. And the, the, the most concerning thing is just these big holes that Indiana gets themselves in. Now, I, I, they come back and win some of these because they've got a talented team and, and most nights they play really hard. But I, I think they've lost seven or eight games by double digits. So that's just really tough to overcome those type of deficits. Well, and Indiana didn't get the offensive performance last night either. I mean, you talk about the defensive breakdowns, and and uh, there's some coaches out there that are using Tony Perkins as uh, you know as an example of, of how you work off the ball because he was terrific last night. So uh, defensively, IU had many breakdowns, but they didn't perform offensively either. And I think that's a big concern for Indiana because when they don't shoot the three, it makes them so vulnerable in other areas offensively as well yeah what were they i think they were two for 11 from beyond the arc which doesn't get it done and then in the second half i believe miller cop and trey galloway combined to go oh for one from three so yeah even when you're not hitting them you know that you got to find a way to get those two guys some more shots i mean those guys when you're down that big you would assume those guys would take eight to ten between them, whether you're running staggers or pin downs, but they they weren't a factor. So I'm I'm still, as an analyst, I'm much more worried defensively because I I just hate to see such a good team get in those type of holes. But but you're right, offensively, uh, very lethargic as well. And then you know coming off such a massive sweep of Purdue, I mean they needed that. Uh, TJD needed that for his legacy. And it seemed like on television the crowd was just lit. I mean, the energy coming off the screen was unbelievable. And to come out and just have – I mean, it was more than effort. Just to not understand how to defend Iowa – um, it's very, very troubling. As the great Big Ten player that you were, take us inside – the brain a little bit and and what it's like to come off a win like Indiana had against Purdue and then to come back and even though it's at home and they're all conference games and they're big the challenge of still playing with the same kind of edge they'd played the week before against the rival the challenge of that yeah you, you I'm sure that these guys were getting patted on the back and and hit up on social media like never before because I mean obviously Hoosier fans were sick of having to deal with getting beat down by Purdue for so many games like they have been so you know you get the the wonderful win at home and Purdue's got an outstanding team to close that out and and then for Hood Shafino to do 
you know, to go Calvert Chaney and Steve Albert, Isaiah Thomas, and, and to have one of those legendary performances, I'm sure those guys were getting, you know, a lot of clippings. But they, they got an experience. There are a lot of veterans on that team. And you got guys who have been through the battle. They understand the, the suffering and, and, and not being consistently in the tournament. They understand that. So I, I can't imagine having a letdown. I, I think it's more of a film session. They're, they're going to have to watch that film and just try to figure out, look, this is just not – this was not what the plan was or the plan wasn't right and we didn't execute it. I think it's more about that than just being uh, overhyped for it. On, on the other hand, as a former player and as a former coach, whenever something like this happens – you got to go reevaluate what you were doing the two days before. Were you locked in on the scouting report? Did you study the way you were supposed to study? Did you make every class on t- all those things? I mean, you know, everything's on the table. Even if you're grasping at straws, you got to reevaluate. Was I ready individually, collectively, to go? Uh, for a team that's just really hard to guard. He's Jess Settles from Big Ten Network here on the Fan. You know, we know Jess that Iowa on the road has been inconsistent offensively. So when you're thinking about last night and you spin it forward, when you start thinking about the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, does last night say more about Iowa that they scored 90 points or does it say more about Indiana that they gave up 90 points? Wow, that is, you guys, these are deep thoughts with Brian and Ben. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, We've got the incense going. I mean, yeah. it's, it, the yeah. lights are down. It's it's amazing. Yeah. I need I need a little therapeutic music in the background, everybody. Um, look, I I think it says more about Indiana. I mean, man, do you trust Indiana in the tournament after watching that performance? I, it's it's hard. Iowa is going to shoot thirty threes. Iowa has a ton of three point shooters. That's what they do now. Like every three-point shooting team, they're not a live-and-die three-point shooting team like Penn State. But as Indiana fans know, when when it, when a Penn State is hitting threes, I think they hit 17 against you guys. Like it, It's almost impossible to stop a team when they're going to hit close to 15 threes. But there, there have been freaks where Iowa, they're just as open and they miss them. So you, that, that's just kind of what they do. Now, obviously they're going to get some paint touches with Robracha, and when Perkins is playing well, they're really good. But it's more about just the mentality of Indiana's defense and, like you guys said, their offense. That's just not an acceptable performance, and they've had too many of those to to go with along with all of their wonderful wins as well. They have a phenomenal team. They've got a lottery pick freshman. They've got a probably you know another NBA player. They got a player of the year candidate. So they've got a lot to work with. But I, I can't. You can't really trust them right now. But. Uh, uh, Purdue's the best team in the league, and out and and everybody else. What the next ten are just the same. There won't be a, what we call upsets at the Big Ten tournament unless Purdue goes down in the first round. Everybody else is is about the same. It's going to be a toss up. When you uh, look forward to the big dance, what would you say the ceiling is for Indiana, and also what the ceiling is for Iowa? I I think if they're playing well. They can play into the second weekend. I, I think that's probably their ceiling. Trace Jackson, Dave, when, when these guys get out of conference play and they get away from those scouting reports and those matchups and that grind, they're, they're all good. there's going to be a big sigh of relief. Now, you guys have probably talked about this many times, and we've talked about it over the years. The, the big man, the Zach Edies, the Kofi Coburns, the Luca Garzas, the, uh, the, the Travion – that has not translated to success in March. Okay, so 
Iowa this year does not have that. They're kind of a, they're a five out, four out, one in. Um, could could that help them when they go up against faster, quicker, smaller teams? Trace Jackson Davis is unique in that. Uh, you know, when he sets those ball screens, he can get the lane opened up, roll to the rim. He's tough to stop. And if you're not used to playing against him, that should be a problem for teams. So I'm, I think I'm a little more bullish on those two teams this year than I have been in the past. Um, but let's be real. When that bracket comes out, there's going to be a lot of people afraid to pick Big Ten teams with, with true centers because of the struggles over the last couple. What do you guys think about that? I mean, are you – are you second weekend with these guys, or it's obviously matchups, or are you gun-shy like the rest of us? Well, I think with Indiana, you know, Trace Jackson Davis, you're going to get what you're going to get from him, just about it. I mean, the 26-13-5 that he had last night, I think you can just about pencil that in nearly every night. Obviously, it wasn't the case at, at Purdue, um, you know, when he finished with just 10 points, but that was the exception rather than the rule. I think with Indiana, uh, more of the question, are those around him? You know, can somebody else make shots? Can they, you know, can, you know, uh, Jalen Hood Shafino scoring 35, that's not going to happen on a regular basis. They have to have some other players that have a positive impact on the game other than Trace Jackson Davis. That's going to determine, in my mind, how far Indiana goes is how the other players play. Yeah, that's well said. And I agree with that. I mean, guys like Miller Cop, they've got they've got to step up their game. Race has to step up. Um, maybe this loss refocuses them at the defensive end, and uh, and and you know you just never know who's going to be able to knock down the threes. Now you look at the beginning of that game, and, and we're being critical of them defensively, but just on the first couple possessions of the game, they had two. Chafino had an open three, he he missed. They get the offensive rebound, goes back out to Galloway, he misses a wide open three. You're right. Those are you don't you can't give credit to Iowa's defense for those. Those are just players that have to step up and make shots. I, I like Indiana's team. They have some great wins. It's so nice to have them back. It, you know, this time of year as a lock for the tournament. We're not worried down the stretch whether they're even going to be in. I think there are a lot of weak teams in the country. I don't think there's anybody out there that anybody's afraid of. So I, I, their matchups. Uh, could be favorable. Trace Jackson Davis has to dunk on people, destroy people, get up and down and run the court. But uh, but man, they've had some some just puzzling losses uh, and big holes that uh, this team just doesn't seem like they can overcome. Yeah, win loss, win loss, win loss. Their last six. Hey, yeah, um, yeah. Trace Jackson Davis with his 13 rebounds last night became the all-time leading rebounder in Indiana uh, University history, passing Allen Henderson. Uh, you played against Henderson, weren't you? In at Iowa when he was uh, at Indiana, I was there seven or eight years, man. I mean, yeah. you, you, you played with a lot of guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I played against everybody who's yeah. in the Hoosier Hall. Allen Henderson, <laughs> Allen Henderson was an amazing player, an even better person. I mean, he was one of those guys that you know back in the '90s when you were clotheslining, tripping guys, biting guys. You had enforcers. He was one of those guys that you like you couldn't take a shot at because you just had so much respect at him. He would, you know, you'd be walking off the court after after a win or loss. He'd put his arm around your shoulder and be like, "Hey, man, Jess, you're a great player. Way to battle." I mean, he was one of those guys, and he killed us a few times. And and I I right now can visualize him tip dunking on us at assembly under the banners. He. He's a phenomenal player. Obviously, the game is different. The rules are different. Guys stay longer. The, some, most of the elite players leave earlier. 
So, but anytime you can climb the the ladder at Indiana with all of those legends, it's something special. I know Alan Henderson would be very proud of him. I haven't talked to him in years, but uh, yeah, that's quite an accomplishment. And I do think for Trace's legacy, I think he had to beat Purdue. Um, I, I was worried about it. Uh, a couple months ago, like, where, where is this all going to go? Are they going to make the tournament? X is injured. Trace, his back is blown out. Race is injured. Is he going to be there? So I'm so happy for him that they were able to get those wins and, and that he can continue to climb the ladder. He's had a phenomenal career. He's Jess Settles, Big Ten Network. Before you go, Jess, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, where there are a couple of Indiana players – seen like smiling kind of laughing on the bench at the end uh when it's a blowout some fans around here didn't like it as a former player what's your reaction when fans say what are you laughing about while you're getting blown out i did not see it i can't comment on it that much but i would not look too much into that it's just maybe the camera catches them at the wrong time everybody's obviously frustrated you get blown out um i, I don't know if that necessarily has anything to do with winning or losing but it's indiana no one gets scrutinized more when you go to indiana that's a heavier uniform to wear than any other i would say in the country you might throw duke and carolina into that maybe michigan state but you know what you're signing up for i probably would be more cognizant of that and probably wouldn't be myself laughing at the end of the game but i don't know the details that's just me from the cheap seats Run, you know, giving an opinion on it. Hey, before we let you go, uh, take you take you back to the uh, Iowa win over Michigan State when Fran McCaffrey stared down the <laughs> official. Uh, what's your take on that? Uh, should should there be penalty associated with that? Uh, you know, what's what's everybody's impression about uh, from an Iowa standpoint of what happened there, and, and yours as a broadcaster. So I, I think somebody put on Twitter today that Iowa has scored like 146 points since the uh, Fran stare down <laughs> with Kelly Pfeiffer. So everybody's like, hey, stare, stare them down more, right? I mean, on, on, on the selfish side. I, look, I mean, you know, we grew up in the, the Bob Knight, Gene Cady uh, era where, where a val- you know, Bob Knight walks right at Teddy Brought his Valentine, I think, and yeah. walked around. I mean, we, we grew up in that season on the brink era and the the scowling and the yell that and all the entertainment. So it's not something that Big Ten fans aren't used to. I guess it comes down to what's the rule and are you going to enforce that now or not? So if you interpret that as unsportsmanlike or aggressive behavior to the official, then then you know they obviously missed an opportunity to put the double T on them. If they're not going to do it. Yeah, Tom Izzo, Brad Underwood, Brand McKay—they're gonna—they're gonna push the limits every single time, and if you let them do it, they're gonna keep doing it. So it, to me, that's more of a an officiating, enforcing the rule type of thing. And if you chose not to do it, then then, then nothing's ever gonna change with that. Yeah, it opened the door, I think. Yeah. Hey, Jess, good stuff, man. Appreciate you popping on today. Have a good one. We'll catch you soon. All right, fellas. Appreciate See you, buddy. Yep. There he is, Jess Settles, Big Ten Network. Man, that guy could ball. I mean, he had some injuries later in his career, but it's, you know, came out as a freshman and he was Mr. Basketball in tiny little town of Iowa. <laughs> yeah. and, tiny Winfield, and, Iowa. Yeah. And yeah. if you've if you've ever seen Jess and you remember him player, you know he was corn fed. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was country he was strong. Country strong That's right. Yeah. All right, coming up next, we've got a special anniversary today. We'll oh, yeah? fill you in on that. Yeah. Brian No and Vince Welch with you right here, 93.5 and 1075 the fan. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. I'm Brian No, He's Vince Welch here on The Fan JMV coming up at the top of the hour. You know, there's a very special anniversary today. Vince, you excited about Whose this? anniversary is that? 23 years ago today, Rick Pitino, head coach of the Boston Celtics, one of the better rants of all time, and very memorable. Um, if you could, Jimmy, give me a little audio over here. I'll sprinkle some on you. Check this out. Larry Bird's not walking through that door, fans. Kevin McHale's not walking through that door, and Robert Parrish is not walking through that door. And if you expect them to walk through the door, they're going to be gray and old. <laughs> what we are is young, exciting, hardworking, and going to improve. And people don't realize that. And as soon as they realize that those three guys are not coming through that door, the better this town will be for all of us. I love that rant. It was great. And I love this. This was part of it too, Vince. And all this negativity that's in this town sucks. <laughs> That was part of the same little minute spiel. He went through that whole thing and then paused for like 10 seconds, was just like deeply reflecting at the podium and then said, thank you, and just walked off. Patino's name's been mentioned for uh, some pretty significant openings. You know, Georgetown is anticipated maybe being oh, wow. uh, an available spot. You know, he, he was uh, – he left in disgrace. You know the Louisville situation yeah. was uh, was awful, and um, not sure he should get the opportunity that he's getting at all. Anyway, uh, the w- one he's currently got, but much less at at another big time program. But um, again, kind of goes back to what we were saying about before. You know, a lot of times it doesn't matter what kind of person you are if you can win. Somebody's somebody's ready to write you a check. Yeah, it, we're seeing it a little bit in college football. Bobby Petrino, yeah, yep. back at Texas A and M, yep. back in the conference. Yeah. So a lot, of, a lot of checkered pasts. Yeah, yeah. We uh, thankfully they're not looking in our closet. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's easier to look at someone else's closet. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how that works out. You know, what did you think, Vince? Before we get out of here, the Indiana players laughing on the bench. I'm a little bit more like Jess. I can understand fans looking at that and saying. I don't like it. But in the moment, I think it can look a lot worse than it actually is. It's not like TJD and race. They don't care about the game at all. They don't care that they got blown out. It lands wrong. It looks worse than it is. But that's my It wasn't a good look. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing Mike Woodson wouldn't like it. Um, You know, you're you're getting whipped. You've been handled all night. What is there to laugh about? Mm -hmm. You know, and um, no telling what. The conversation was that created that situation, but the bottom line is they're there to ball and they just got their butts whipped. And so what could there possibly be to laugh about, you know, but um, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. And if I'm the coaching staff, I'd maybe say something about it just because that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, but it gives I'd, them something more to be angry I'd about. I'd move on. It's good. It's a win-win. Yeah, hey, we're going to move on to JMV. Top of the hour. Keep it locked right here on The Fan. We'll catch you later.